0: You're listening to episode 139 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Oh, man. I don't, I don't have a bit here. I don't I'm, I'm all right,
1: <laughs>
2: cool. See, now, I, I'm really excited because ever since the first time that Phil wasn't on the show and I made the bit the fact that there was no bit, I wondered when that bit would come back. Here we are at episode 139, all the all these episodes later, it's finally come full circle.
0: Yeah, I think Marco and I did that, though, when on the episode that we were the only two people on. We did a Shit. similar bit. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's about it's to, to bec- luck on that
1: Might might become a whole sector of the show
2: now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, no. See, got, this is why
2: we need Marco here he always has that list handy where he's like oh well, that was episode uh
0: you know 69 oh well, Ni- I mean, nice I could tell you that the, the episode that Marco and I did alone was 137 there you go is that's that the because, was that so. the only
1: time you guys have done one by yourselves yeah surely
0: yeah um yeah that was fun that was fun that was when uh that was when we reviewed dark Phoenix hmm. uh, and, yeah that's one I, I think
2: I have to go back and listen to that episode just because, like, I can't imagine what it's like for Marco to have to talk for an entire episode.
0: (laughs) It's weird. It's weird. Like, when I say something and the only voice that I'm going to hear is Marco's, it's like, oh.
1: And it's, I mean, I'm sure it was a bit more work for you because Marco's intelligent and has things he wants to say and wants to actually have a conversation.
0: (laughs) Uh, No, that's very easy for me. It's the other stuff that's hard. Um, yeah, funny. You mean you Go don't ahead.
2: like it when there's some Philadelphian interrupting and yelling every five minutes? I don't like it when there's some New
0: Jerseyan yelling and interrupting <laughs>
2: every five minutes. Well, I said that covers me and Phil now.
0: Oh, all right. Well, if you consider yourself a Philadelphian. Hey, you've been there for like ten minutes, dude. Chill out. Jeez. <laughs> I don't care if I move to Africa. I'm a New Yorker.
1: Man, I only just got my European driver's license. I don't consider myself a European. So, (laughs) fucking
2: You're a world citizen, Kale. I'm
1: a
0: Texan. Tried and
1: true. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Damn. Funny story about the time that Marco and I did the show alone and reviewed Dark Phoenix. Uh, Those of you who listened will know that I enjoyed the movie quite a bit despite the fact that it's not very good. And <laughs> I, I received a phone call. Well, actually, I received a text. So No. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, the next day, no, sorry, Monday, the Monday. We record on Saturday. So the Monday when it released, I received a text message from my aunt who said uh, the name of her co-worker. It's, uh, it's Steven. Uh uh, Did you name Ste- him last time? I think so. It's, okay, it's fine. He's just you know, he, so we, no, no last name. names. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fine. All it, all it says is Stephen wants to talk to you. <laughs> and Are I'm you? like, oh god, I know, I know what this is. So I'm like, okay, call me. So she calls me. I don't even talk to her. It's him. <laughs> hello. He's like, hey. So and this is exactly what happened. I said hello. He said. Hey, so I heard your Dark Phoenix review. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, he he goes, goes, well, you said you'd get a lot of hate for that. And I said, yes, I did. I'm used to it. And he said, okay, good. He said, because I did not agree with what you said. He was like, I don't understand how you could (laughs) like that movie. He was like, listen. I'm a fan of Jean Grey too I love the X-Men I love the X-Men almost as much as I love Spider-Man But I thought Spider-Man 3 sucked And so did this It's <laughs> I was like, alright <laughs> man <laughs> He's been waiting a long time To get that one off his yeah. chest <laughs> He was like He was like, uh, the only reason Why I went was because they were giving away A free pin for seeing it On opening night And the pin sucked too he said i would have gotten up and left if it wasn't for the fact that you had to see the whole movie to get the pin after because i I guess they set up like after the fact he was like i would have left mid movie yeah um i was like all right dude you know like i didn't feel that way um and then i decided you know i decided i wanted to like you know play around so i was like well when you saw Spider-Man three, how old were you? He was like, "Oh, I was in high school." I was like, "Okay, me too." I saw Spider-Man three four times in theaters. I didn't think it sucked. Sean, so did I. Yep. Why did not we do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I liked it. That's the thing. I, I did too. Oh, okay. I did too. Yeah. I was like fourteen, and I was like, "I
2: like this movie," and I saw it like by my... I saw it with my friends with my, a girlfriend at the time I took my dad to see it because we had seen the other two together and then I went again by myself yep. I don't know why
0: <laughs> yep. and he was that, that sent him on a tailspin he was like what <laughs> <laughs> he was like what how how what did you like about that movie what did you like I was like look I know it has its problems but to this day no one can tell me that that fight scene between Spider-Man and, Ven- and Venom isn't cool he was like no he was like, no, Venom sucked. He sucked there. He sucked in his own movie. Sony sucks. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> Agreed.
2: <laughs> That's so fucking good. It, oh my god. It, it
0: lasted a long he's time. He's got he's
2: got that fucking like nerd fire in his oh, belly. Dude. You can tell you can tell he doesn't have anybody yeah. like us. To bitch about with this stuff. And he's like, this is shit he's been holding on to since, like, 2006. <laughs> whatever exactly. the fuck that movie came out.
0: Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, just like. Poor Steven. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never had that kind of experience before. Like, I've never spoken to someone who's that, like, uh, uh, we'll use the word passionate about these things. Like, I love this Dude. stuff, but damn
2: yeah well i honestly i really think that it comes like from being a lone wolf nerd if you don't have like friends to talk to this shit about i think you get like real fucking wrapped up in it you know or it's like when like you know i've had a close group of friends that read comics and played games like throughout my entire like formative years into adulthood right you know so it's like, and I do podcasts about them now. So it's like, I get my fill of taking, taking the piss out of stuff, you know? And I think eventually you get a little like desensitized to it. And I think, like, I think, you know what I mean? Cause like, I think we're so in it that you're out of it a little bit, you know? Um, if that makes sense.
0: There are and some people you- who are so in it that they're, that they, they, they get lost in it. Like they're yeah, trapped right, in it. Right. Right. I He's I feel that. like we we we've learned to come up for air. You know? Yes. <laughs> and and this guy has a job that matters. So, it scares me a little bit that all of this is inside of him. But hey, I, I will say I think that might be part of it too though. I think when
2: you have like a high pressure job or or like, you know, you're you go through some serious trauma or some shit, like I think like entertainment and escapism are like very important mm. to like surviving mm. I think that kind of work um, or that kind of experience and I think that's another thing that makes people real precious about their art um, so yeah hopefully hopefully this is the only thing he's that enraged about because <laughs> that's okay it's just dumb movies and stuff at the end of the day I don't know
1: man uh, <laughs> I just watched Spider-Man 2 again recently and it don't hold up. So, let's Steven, talk about it, Steven, If you wanna give Sean a call and uh, talk about <laughs> how how it doesn't hold up anymore.
0: No, we, no, no. He likes it, it still. Here's, yeah, here's we got thing. into all that. He loves Spider-Man too.
2: Here's my thing. I really, I really want to do. I don't know if it makes sense to do it as like a separate thing, but I would love to do like a, a book club of some of these old superhero movies and like, cause I, I want to like go rewatch them. Cause I haven't rewatched Spider-Man one or two since I was like probably 20. Wow. So like, I don't know how I would feel about them now. Um, and I'm interested to see like if I want to get down in the mud and argue with Kale, um, or if I'll agree.
1: I, I generally don't like rewatching things for that reason. Like I like having that, you know, that, image of of something in my head and i i i don't like it when it gets when i have to see the flaws and stuff um so like i i watched this movie against my will and
0: (laughs) man uh i've seen spider-man 2 i probably saw it like two years ago three years ago and uh i i liked it i think it's it's good in context you know if it came out today, I don't think people would love it the same way. Certainly not. But I, it it holds a, a, a particular place in my heart, a special place in my heart. And there are certain elements of it that I really, really enjoy. I think the the fights with Doc Ock are good. Sure. Um, that at the I mean at the time that was that was the best fight scene of all time in a yeah. in a comic yeah. book movie. Sure. Um, and I, I really like yeah. the
2: portrayal of Doc Ock in that movie too.
0: That I don't like, and I didn't. Oh, but really? I didn't like it then either, because it's not. It's, it's not, not true. authentic. Yeah. No. Um, and I thought
2: it was compelling.
0: It's yeah, it is. Like it's compelling for what that movie is trying to do. And if you like what the movie's trying to do, then it probably works. I think it works for the context of the movie. But I I'd, I'd rather have seen Doc Ock be who he is. Um, those movies are very cheesy. And that I think sort of if you're if you feel if like if it's if it's if it's something that could bother you, right? Going back and watching something like that and going, oh my god, it's so cheesy. And you can't absorb yourself into the material, I can see why that would drag it down. Um but a lot of those man, those two thousands, those early two thousands Mid two thousands comic book movies, they have like a stink on them that, like, that it, it like it permeates every single one of them. Like, I was recently having a conversation; it was actually sparked by uh, an article that you had shared, Pete, about um, the way that movies reflect society, in particular nineties movies and oh, stuff yeah, like that.
2: A, it was a piece by film crit Hulk. If you want
0: to go read it yourself, and. There was a a kernel of it where he just sort of mentions superhero movies and why they're so popular now. And um, uh, I just extrapolated that during a conversation and I thought about um, those early 2000s films and how they really don't have a lot to say about much. Like they're very much just like Spider-Man. The Spider-Man movies are about love, you know. Um, and that's nice, but they're, they're very much movies that allow you to just escape, you know, like nothing that bad happens to anybody. Um, by the end, things kind of reset back to one and you can feel good. And they're all like that pretty much.
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously like the original Spider-Man movie has like the whole, like death of uncle Ben thing, which is really sad. But I think like in general, um, and uh the article that you're referencing actually like brings this up like Spider-Man the original Spider-Man is like absolutely a response to 9/11 you know um like uh he makes the point in that in that article that like it, it's no coincidence that the highest grossing movies of like 1998 and 1999 are disaster movies and that the post 9/11 you know, um, number one movie was a story about, you know, a hero. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's something that, like, I think I, I, I'm very much with Sean where I, I, I don't often have a problem getting in the mindset of the context of the work, you know? Um, so, like, I think with that in mind, like, it being kind of cheesy and sunny are, like, you know, like, I get it. You know, like, I think that was what we needed at that time.
0: Well, the only thing about that that I'll challenge is that because the movie came out in 2002, it'd be very difficult for it to actually respond to 9-11 in terms of the creation of the film. The reaction to the film is where I think that's correct. I have a hard time believing that it was made that way on purpose that i i guess i what i should say is
2: the success of spider-man is reaction to uh 9-11
0: yeah in the article though i feel like he makes the point you just made and that was something that i took a little bit of umbrage with but uh in any event yeah i just i just i love talking about those movies because like even with spider-man one right look at the difference between how uncle ben's death impacts peter in that one versus how it impacts peter in amazing spider-man look at the tone right like it's such a different movie and i think that even though we talk crap about amazing spider-man that's probably the kind of movie that gets over in 2012 more than the original spider-man would have in the same year and I think the same is true. Amazing Spider-Man doesn't get over the way the original one did in 2002. I see what you mean. Yeah. It's,
2: well, it's interesting too because I think an element to it that I hadn't really considered until we started talking about this was that like Spider-Man it exists in – like at release, right? It exists in a world where there have been two other big successful superhero movies. And one of them is Superman. And one of them is Batman. And I think this is in that same vein. Like, it's a little, like, darker. It's a little more, like, early 2000s in terms of, like, its, like, look and um, some of its tone. Because it's, like, it's mope But I think in terms of, like, the way that it presents heroism and the way that, like, some of the dialogue is delivered, it's that very, like... Almost like, you know, like it almost kind of like golden or silver age vibe to it. You that was know? Point. Like yeah. You know, yeah. Like it. it's very much that tone. And I think like that either – like you, you can either accept that for what it is or you don't,
0: you know? And I think in 2002 they very much did. We very much did.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think like when you look at The Amazing Spider-Man, that's informed by – you know, we're mid-MCU at that point. You know, there, there's a whole new oh, yeah. wave and a whole new style of superhero movie on the market.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think audiences had shown that they were ready to see darker, darker stuff with their superheroes. I mean, The Dark Knight is, a, is 100%, if not a direct commentary... It definitely pulls from the real world problems we were having with government powers uh, and addresses them on some level, and terrorism, and addresses them on some level in a movie. And it was the first superhero movie to do that, I think. And obviously audiences responded. So it opened up a door that wasn't open before. And I think that Amazing Spider-Man... Works its way in there in part because of what was now acceptable, but also in part because kids who fell in love with that movie are also kids who grew up in a time where America was actually darker than it was in 2002. Well, not that it wasn't 2002, but if you were a kid in 2002, you weren't as attached to what had changed. If you grew up, if you were a kid in 2012, because like if you were a kid in 2012, you were already used to the TSA groping you when you, you know, um, you were already used to seeing war on television. You, like there were so many things that, that were normalized for you that weren't normal in 2002. In 2002, you didn't know about that stuff.
2: Right. That was a point that I thought that the article made really well, which is that, like, um, millennials, like, our age, I think, like, we, like, grew up in the 90s, so, like, we have the, the a little bit of the cultural context of that period, but we don't really understand what it's like to, like, be, like, to grow, to actually have grown up and live in a world that was pre-9-11, you know? And I think it's interesting because one of the things I, that the article made me thinking think about was how it was talking about Fight Club and I've only viewed that movie as a post 9-11 film you know and it's like it's interesting how w- our generation specifically like we had a taste of pre 9-11 America but we don't really know what it was like and and I think like I, I there's so many ways that that event changed our culture that I feel like we don't always, like, we don't always totally recognize, you know, or, like, we haven't totally understood the ramifications of. Because I think the point that you're making is totally right, you know, that, like, our generation is, like, thought of as having that experience and definitely didn't. So, like, all the generations post have absolutely not had that experience, you know? So, like, their context for Spider-Man in 2002 is, like, it's all, it's like oh it's it, it's like the same way that we would look at like movies from the 70s or 80s where it's just a total disconnection from that culture. You know, you have an idea of what it was like, but it's distorted by movies and pop culture and what your parents and
0: adults in your life have told you about it. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh it's 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 really fascinating. I we've we've talked enough about it that I think um we can at least link to the article so you can see for yourself what what we're referencing. But uh, very, very cool. And uh, it's funny because I'd considered this as a main topic, but um, I passed on it because I didn't think it had enough heat. Uh, <laughs> Here we
2: are, uh, 20 minutes into the show. We yeah. haven't even done Palace Polls.
0: <laughs> Speaking of which, before we jump into the Palace Polls, I will let you guys know where you can find us. If you like conversations like that, that's the kind of stuff we do. And we are all over the internet. You can find us on most podcast hosting platforms at the Comics Pals. Be sure to like, share, review us, all that jazz. All those things really help us out. Um, you know, we're, we're two followers away from a, a, like 300 on Facebook and all those kind of things. So, you know, if you're a fan of us, if you're a new fan who maybe hasn't gotten around to, you know, making the rounds and uh, showing your support go ahead and do that. It uh, it means a lot. Um, we're on social media at the Comics Pals as well. And if you want to write in and join in on the conversation, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. We will absolutely read your mail on the air. So hit us up. Let's get into the Pals polls now. Uh, from Kale, we've got the Star Jammers trade. This sounds awesome. Speak on it.
1: Yeah, so this is a, a collection of... of- I guess Warren Ellis' Starjammers, uh, is he the only person that's ever written the Starjammers? Do you know?
0: I don't know, but I would be surprised if that were true.
1: Because this is uh, it's a collection of uh, Starjammers stories from, I think, ninety five 2004, and then some from a, a random X-Men collection from 2003 or something no nineteen ninety three it's like hmm. uh yeah, it's interesting so anyway uh the Starjammers have always been super interesting to me i uh i don't have a, a huge connection to them other than um i think they're in the animated series at some point yeah, oh yeah yeah. Oh yeah
0: um
1: and then and then when Bendis was on the x men young Cyclops. Went off with his dad in a story written by um, uh, uh, Greg Rucca. His uh, young Cyclops' his dad being um, King Starjammer. What
0: the fuck's his name? Corsair.
1: Yeah, King Starjammer. Um, <laughs> uh, so, anyway, it, uh, something that I'm looking forward to and kind, of kind of a dry week for me.
0: Yeah, I. I saw this and I was like, man, if I didn't have pulls of my own, like specific things that I'm looking forward to as well, that would have been on there because that's cool. Yeah. Um. So from Pete, we've got Martian Manhunter number six.
2: Yeah. So uh, Martian Manhunter has been a really cool book. Uh, Riley Rossmo's art in particular has been something to behold. This is about the halfway point. Uh, we're at six of 12 for the, the book. So, um, you know. I don't know if this is where you want to jump on. If you haven't been following along, you might want to just wait for the the trade, but um, you got to imagine that like the first half of that is probably on the way pretty soon, so um, keep your eyes open for it. It's been a book I've been enjoying.
0: Awesome. And then you also chose Life is Strange, number six.
2: Yeah, so this was a surprise to me. I didn't realize that this was going to be like a multi-arc book. I thought it was just going to be a mini. I don't know if it like sold well enough for what the deal was, but I totally misunderstood uh when i originally was buying the books because i bought the singles um uh but i I wasn't able to get five so like i don't know if there was like a mention of six in five and that was what was up but i finally got the volume which i think i mentioned a couple weeks ago and it sold that there was another arc on the way so uh this is the uh the pickup point uh it ended on a pretty crazy cliffhanger um that really really like like shifted things around um so it's starting in like a pretty much a totally different place excuse me it's starting in pretty much a totally different place from where the previous arc did which is like pretty interesting and not what i was really expecting so um i'm I i was really excited about this book originally because i wanted to just get a little bit of closure on these two characters and the fact that like it seems like they have a lot more stories to tell me, and are moving in like a a, a, a direction that's totally unexpected. Is something that is, has actually been uh, really really exciting to me as someone who's a big fan of the original series and those characters. Um, as much as I'm enjoying Life is Strange, too, it's got a new cast, so I like that I get to still spend time with you know the duo from the original. Um, in a in a like you know I'm not usually one for licensed comics. But it's it's really delivering. Like the art is good, and the the writer really has the voices of the characters down. You know, like I feel like very similar to how you've been talking about Buffy Sean, where like it just feels like they they fucking get it, and it's like oh this is great. This is exactly what I what I want. um, Without any of the stuff I was afraid of. Hmm.
1: This is the this is Titan, right? Yep. It can't be
0: sales. I kept it going then. (laughs) well then what were you gonna say sean i was gonna say that's one of the things that i love about comics is that um i mean i love a lot of things about comics but if it's a licensed property it can take place in any time and it can really do anything with the material whether it's been done before or not And uh, sometimes that can be a detriment. Like a lot of people argue, myself included, that um, the Buffy comics that came out after season seven ended uh, of the show took things too far because uh, we didn't knew he had no budget. So, like, he he just let his mind go crazy. Went off the fucking rails. Right. But even with that being the case, it was still amazing to get to to get to see these characters live on past the actors wanting to play them, past the network wanting to continue it. You know, the actors don't look the same anymore in real life, so you can't just bring Buffy back with Sarah Michelle Gellar playing a 25-year-old girl, but you can have Buffy stay 25 forever in the comics if you feel like it. Uh, similarly, you can tell a story with Life is Strange with the original cast, and let, let's see where they go next, or let's see what happened before, or whatever, and not have to be as concerned with what's happening in the in the game right now, you know? Um,
2: yeah, and the thing that's really cool about it, too, is they have this thing in the beginning of it where they're talking about how, because of the nature of, like, uh, Max's powers, if you're not familiar with Life is Strange, it's a, a video game series about uh, a girl who ends up discovering that she can manipulate time, right? And they basically like, they basically have a out if you don't like this story that it's like, well, it doesn't have to be canonical because the decisions you made created an infinite number of string universes. So it's like, this is one possibility. So if you like it, great. If not, bye, you know? So it's like, they, it, it it works so well in universe um, for that reason anyway. Uh and it's funny because what you said before, Sean, uh, that you can really kind of do whatever. There was a moment in the last issue where I thought they were ending it in a particular way, and I hated it. I was so like, "Oh, I don't like this. This is so like hammy." And then there was like a fucking like it was it was like a twist right at the end, and I was like, "Oh shit, this was brilliant! Oh my god!" And I and I it totally sold me on following it till the till the end, you know. So. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. So, if you're a Life is Strange fan, like I know some of our our listeners are, um, and you've been on the fence about it, definitely definitely check this one out.
0: Very cool. So, I chose Action Comics number 1012, and it's so awesome to be able to read this and be – now I'm caught up on everything Superman that Bendis is doing – and we've we've gotten Event Leviathan number one. Um this book is the one that you can read if you want more Event Leviathan stuff. The Superman title has nothing that's following Ragu. That's that's like taking place all in space. <laughs> and, you know, Rogals are I forgot for podcast. a half second. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't. <laughs> he's been looking Ragu. He's been fighting ragu since man of steel number one and that came out a long time ago that was like a year Dude, ago
2: uh, ragu wasn't interesting then either so that's no. whack
0: he's uh better now i'm actually enjoying what's going on a lot more but action comics is superior and uh i'm i'm excited to see what what they're gonna do this is uh this is clark kent and lois lane adopting uh Secret agent personas to oh, try, cool. yeah, to try and like get, figure out what's going on with with uh, Leviathan. So
2: that's that's some like 70s shit, yeah. I like that, that sounds cool.
0: And then the other book I chose is uh Floppy Cop number three, oh, yeah. Floppy Cop by Dan Doherty, our boy. He's been on the show before. Uh, this is this is good. This is the good stuff. Um, it's very different, very quirky. Dan Doherty is a writer and artist who is very, very capable of putting out different styles with what he does, uh, not only in terms of the way he draws, but his his writing as well. This book is so different than anything I've ever read before, and I really wanted to shout it out because I think it deserves an audience. And so if you're looking for something different, if you're looking for something fun and lighthearted, but also with a sense of humor that's very—it's um, not a—it's not a childish sense of humor. It's there's definitely adult themes in it, but it's all in fun. Uh, I think this is a book that's right up your alley. So that's floppy cop number three, and the first two issues should not be too hard for you to pick up if you uh, if you want to give it a shot. It seems it seems very um, sort of Bob's Burgers y Yep. Yep.
1: So if you're you're a fan yep. of those. Uh... Sunday evening Fox shows, you'll probably enjoy Floppy Cop.
0: That's actually a very good comparison. There was a time period where I feel like Fox was putting out more animated shows. That weren't, uh,
1: that weren't just Seth MacFarlane joints.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the
2: thing, yeah. That was, like, right before, like, they went into that period of, like, everything was Seth MacFarlane because they, like, canceled King of the Hill, and it was, like... Just Seth MacFarlane shows The Simpsons and Bob's Burgers and now I feel like it's just family guy Bob's Burgers and The Simpsons and they're like not doing anything new.
0: Well, there was a show called um Axe Cop. Yeah. And Axe yep. Cop was based on a comic that was written by a child. And it was a web webcomic. Yeah, and Floppy Cop would have fit right in with that lineup of shows. I think it is very much is like the spirit of that kind of humor, that kind of, even that kind of art style. If you look at what Floppy Cop looks like, I feel like you could slap that right on Fox in that, in, in that era and it would have fit right in. That's so how Dan's going to get rich one of these days, probably. I hope so. I would love that to be the case. So,
2: real real quick, uh, Sean mentioned before that Dan's been on the show. Uh, if you want to listen to our interview with Dan where he's on his way driving to a convention, you can go listen to episode 107 of the Club.
0: There you go. Thanks, Marco. Yeah, you're welcome. So, <laughs> we're going to get into the news not before this fucking It could be the news. It's <laughs> <is> the news, <laughs> it man. coming it's, in. It's the news siren. Depending on when where they stop at, it might be the news. So we're going to jump into the news and we're going to talk about what is unequivocally, unequivocally the biggest piece of news and maybe the most uh, disappointing piece of news of the week. So Marvel started a series of teases at the beginning of the week and it started with a a four and it was it, was, it kind of it kind of evoked like. Spider-Man 3 kind of vibes because it was like the gray webbing uh, with a 4 and and I, that just it reminded me of the movies for whatever reason. And uh, I guess it reminded other people of the movies because people immediately started speculating that Marvel was teasing a Spider-Man 4 comic book series.
2: And uh, there was that tweet that came out at the same time, too. Uh, I don't remember who, who did the art, but there it was... It was
0: Alex Ross. He did... That was he, it. He he did art that was based on the first Spider-Man movie of Spider-Man uh, swinging around with uh, Mary Jane. And so it got the rumor mill going that, that Marvel was going to produce the untold Spider-Man 4 story, whatever Sam Raimi was planning. Go look that up on your own time. It's fascinating. Um... But the next day, instead of oh, the other the other speculation was that it was actually a Spider Man crossover with Fantastic Four. People were, were were positive that's what it was going to be. And that and then and then the Alex Ross teaser came out and then the Spider Man Four speculation began. Uh, but then the next day it was a three. And <laughs> like, oh <laughs> Right. I mean, dude,
1: you felt it if you were on, on anywhere near a comics Twitter. It was like Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay, fine.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. The collective is... unclenching. <laughs> um, I I would be down for a a, I'd be I'd be down for a, a comic book based on whatever Sam Raimi had planned, but that's besides the point. Um, so then it was a three, and then people realized, oh, we don't actually know what the hell this is. Uh, then it was a two, then it was a one. And, of course, on the one, I believe it was C.B. Cebulski that had to make a one-more-day joke. Um, But, uh, finally, we we got the reveal that it's a J.J. Abrams Spider-Man comic book. But it's not just J.J. Abrams. It's J.J. Abrams and his son, Henry Abrams. Who are going to be doing a Spider-Man miniseries, in which they will team up with artist Sarah Pacelli. and they will fa- and Spider-Man will face a new villain called Cadaverous, who will cause problems not only for Spider-Man, uh, but, uh, but for also Peter, Peter Parker and- as well. Yeah, and of course Mary Jane Watson that's never
2: happened (laughs) i just fucking
1: can't (laughs) i i didn't even i didn't watch the video i've seen i've seen a few things flying around that were like oh you've never seen peter parker like this and i'm like okay well the 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 cover image you've shown is already spider-man holding mary jane in a, a swing uh position so uh not not doing great on that front already
2: (laughs) (sighs) yeah i don't know man uh Sarah pichelli on art school
1: it's a shame she'll only be doing it for 10 minutes
0: i this is a weird one so the reaction to this has been pretty negative. I, I, like, there, there, this has been a, a bit of a bust announcement. I think it's, it's, I kind of feel like it's fair to say because a lot of people are angry that uh, not so much that J.J. Abrams is writing a comic, but that his son, Henry, is writing a comic because he's 20 years old and he has no experience in the field and i don't know what he does with his life i, I you know he's 20 so probably not a lot um and the fact that he's just kind of waltzing into a major situation at marvel comics uh pissed off quite a few people in fact uh john layman who uh, i believe he created chu um and he's done he's done some work for marvel some you know, but nothing too high profile, but he's, you know, he's, he's worked with them. Uh, he tweeted out uh, his credentials uh, and then tongue in cheek said, congratulations to JJ and Henry on getting to work for Marvel. And he he said that Mar- uh, he's heard from a reliable source that Marvel won't even hire him to work for them, that he's for whatever reason, they won't touch him. And he doesn't have a bad, you know, uh, there's not a bad word about him in, in you know out there in, in comics, to where there's a reason that I'd be aware of why they wouldn't hire him, um, and a lot of people are shouting nepotism over this this announcement. JJ is one thing, his son that's a little weird. Um, there's there can't be anyone on earth except for the Abrams household who are like, yes, Henry Abrams is writing a Spider-Man comic. I can't wait. It's yeah, it's a thing. It's like.
1: Who else could this possibly be for, than Henry
0: Abrams? No one.
1: Like I didn't even know J.J. Abrams had a son.
2: <laughs> yeah, me neither.
1: Like, and it's it's, a- it's it's this isn't like you know, oh, cool cool dad helping his you know eight year old kid get a comic published. You know, like I think I think Fraction, I want to say Fraction, helped his son when when they a few years ago at this point, and his son is fairly young i think I think it's he's maybe ten or twelve now, so he would have been seven or eight at this time. I think he helped him write an adventure time uh comic at one point and this isn't like that like this is this is a twenty year old kid who like
0: <laughs> and and by the way, if it was a an image comic you know or some kind of indie book, hey. Sure. sure get get the kid a start with Spider-Man with Marvel it feels different as per it, it's very prestigious you know if you're on the outside looking in and you want to work for Marvel then to see someone who's rich who could easily finance his own book easily get you know a hookup so I mean JJ Abrams has the connections and the clout to walk into any you know comic book company on earth and say hey,
2: Give my i my son a shot.
0: Yeah, give my son a shot. I'll put some money behind the book. I'll ha- I'll handle X for it, you know. Um and and they do it. But this is not that. And when you watch the video, they released a video of JJ and, and Henry kind of, you know, uh hyping the book. Uh he basically says that he originally he originally was going to do this with um Nick Lowe, wanted Nick Lowe's an editor at uh at uh Marvel. Nick Lowe wanted JJ was to do a book 10 years ago and it kind of just, you know, didn't go anywhere. Last year it came up again and then he started talking to his son about it. JJ uh, did, and that's where the real story came from. So to hear him tell it, this was a very organic thing. It was never about putting his son over and just getting him a job at Marvel. It came up because uh, they created the story together. They just and, talked about it. Yeah. Or whatever. That sounds like it could be true. And I'm not trying to say that JJ. Abrams is the bad guy because he's not. He's you know whatever. It just comes across not so awesome. I think I think for me, it's entirely
2: how the announcement was handled. I, yes. I honestly don't have any problem with J.J. Abrams writing uh like like a celebrity writing a comic book is not anything new. Mm-hmm. so J.J. Abrams being tapped to write a Spider-Man book. Fine. Like, like they, they're, not...
1: they're working for the same company.
2: Right. Um, so, that in mind, like, that on its face is not something that I'm, like, excited about, you know? I like J.J. Abrams fine, but I honestly think his biggest strength as a, as a filmmaker is casting. So, I don't, you know, the things that he has to bring to the table for a, a comic book script, I don't know how that's going to play out. So, that aside, um... I don't have a problem with him and his son writing a Spider-Man book together and then publicizing that his son is getting a co-writing credit on the book. Fine. I think doing this big reveal and a countdown and then it's a video of J.J. and Henry Abrams present their Spider-Man book, that's where I think it's all the things that you're talking about about where it it, it is weird because you can't argue that it's not nepotism of course it is he wouldn't have this job if he wasn't jj abrams son that's the that's why he has this gig fine again i think if jj abrams wants to write a spider-man comic with his son that in a vacuum isn't a problem it's trying to put like seemingly marvel trying to put him over as like a talent as a writer that i think has a stink on it that I think has people who are in the industry, who've worked really fucking hard to claw out a career for themselves, feel bitter. And I get that. Because this kid is just some kid with a famous dad. who, And I don't know, he might be a great writer. Who knows? Maybe he's been working his craft since he was a, a kid. It's possible. Just because your dad is famous doesn't mean you're a hack. Um, but he hasn't worked for this gig. Uh, and I get why people are salty about that. But I think if they had just – if this same fucking video had come out and it was just J.J. Abrams and he was like, hey, man, you know, I'm – i have you know, they wanted to do this 10 years ago. I'm finally doing it. My son and I had this great idea. My son and I are working on this book. Uh, you're going to love what we come, up, come out with. And then after it comes out and it's good, then maybe you put Henry in the spotlight and like, oh, he did this thing with his dad. He's got chops. Maybe he's an up-and-comer. You know, and then, like, he'd have work out that you could point to and be like, oh, maybe he's all right. Like, maybe he could could do something or could be somebody. But right now, he's some nobody that we don't know who is getting a chance to write the biggest fucking character in Marvel's catalog out of nowhere. Yeah. I'm of course, like, that's going to rub people the wrong way.
1: I got a decade on the kid in two degrees. i like, well, I ain't
2: writing.
0: Sp- I,
1: got a, I got a degree in comic books, and I ain't writing Spider-Man. What What chops does this kid have?
0: Yeah. Uh it, I mean you can't really argue against that. So but but actually I guess you kind of can because Gail Simone spent a lot of time yesterday arguing over this very issue. Uh and she has a a, a different opinion. So she said the following I'm going to get destroyed for this, but I don't get why J.J. Abrams and his son writing a Spidey comic is a bad thing. Some of these stunt cast things have made for really good comics, and this comic isn't stopping anyone else from getting a gig. I don't get it. Didn't Kevin Smith do some hit comics, and Joss Whedon, and Brad Meltzer, and a bunch of other novelists and directors and actors? Besides, the PR value is a real thing. It's one Spidey mini. I've seen vastly worse nepotism and insider trading many times. Part of running a big two comics company is owning the news cycle. Joe Ryder guy doing a Hawkman book is not going to make The Hollywood Reporter. This will. There is value in that, even if people don't want to admit it.
2: I think the thing that she said about no one losing a job is a really salient point. It's not like Henry Abrams has been given The Amazing Spider-Man, right? This is a one-off. That him and his dad are writing together, and if he never writes another comic, I wouldn't be surprised. So maybe it's a lot of like gut, like feelings, hurt, outrage that is ultimately much to do about nothing. Because who knows? Maybe this kid doesn't even want to write comics. Mm. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I could argue semantics with that, but yeah, yeah, your your point stands, like. You know, uh, it's not like he got Nick Spencer's job.
2: Um, Yeah, right. It's a book that wouldn't exist if they didn't want his dad to make a book and get a headline. Yeah. and So.
1: Yeah. it's, It's fine. Yeah. It's fine, I guess. Whatever.
2: I get where Gail's coming from, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I think there's some truth to what she's saying.
0: I get where she's coming from. I'll also say it's easy for me to believe that someone who hasn't wanted for work in comics in almost 20 years could have that opinion. Die. Oof. And that's a great a great point too. Yep. Is that she's not fighting for a place at the table right now. So yeah. And you know, in in this same tweet thread you have Kurt Busiek arguing the same thing. He makes some good points that, you know, some of the some of the legends of the industry Got their start because of who they, who their, you know, spouse was or who their uncle was. You know, Stan Lee got that opportunity, but you're also talking about John people. John Romita Junior. Yeah, but you're also talking about people who, like John Romita Junior, is insanely talented, right? Sure. And he never, yeah. he, there's never been a time where he wasn't, at least as far as like we've seen his work. So maybe Henry is damn good. We can't really judge that because he's co-writing the book and we don't know how much influence he actually has over it. There are a lot of it's a tangled web. You can't really say, ah. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs>
2: I love when that happens
0: by accident. <laughs> it, it, it's hard to, it's hard for me to agree with her side of it, but she does make a point too. So we'll see what happens. If the book is good at the end of the day, that will be what matters. But if it sucks, then uh, that will be what matters. And it'll be harder for him to continue a career in comics if that's even what he wants. I, I don't think so. <laughs> um,
1: I had Now, I'm going to bring this up again, even though I don't believe it in this case. I've seen a couple of tweets floating around that people are saying that this is what Cebulski meant by the millions of copies
2: tweet. I, I don't I don't know about that one. Yeah, I don't
1: buy that.
2: I don't I don't think that's what he, meant. I don't think so either. But well, like why would this sell a million copies? Like I know JJ Abrams is like a big name, but it's not like he's like a universally beloved fucking figure or something, yeah. you know? Like yeah. yeah,
1: I was I was talking with uh Murphy of the Long Box about this whole countdown and I was like I literally don't know what they could announce that would make me hyped for Spider Man at this point. Like, what else could they do other than bring Lee and Ditko back for a, a reunion comic?
0: Like, <laughs> someone said that they thought this was leading to an announcement that Todd McFarlane was coming back to yeah. to do Spider Man, which that actually might sell a million copies. Yeah, that would be pretty cool because
1: they uh eric larson also uh, an, uh confirmed that he's coming
0: back for for one. Yeah. Which yep. is crazy. I want to I want to talk about some breaking news actually. Uh Brian Michael Bendis, the beloved comic book writer of many many fantastic books over 20 years has been hacked on Twitter. <laughs> and the stream of tweets is actually insane, and I wanted to shout this out because it's really funny, and I don't know if when you're listening to this, you will actually, um, you will actually be able to experience this because by then it will probably be over, but his Twitter has been ravaged by whoever has hacked him. So first of all, uh, he is now only following one individual, and that is Ali. At 13 Alley 37, whose, <laughs> whose uh, profile picture is a very weird image of Spongebob Squarepants. <laughs> and this individual has only three tweets of which they are protected, so I cannot read them for you. Uh, and uh, four followers. So there's that. Uh, <laughs> the new like profile handle, I guess, is shoutout Alley. And the tweets are of this variety. New comic idea. Hack the world. Featuring unknown alias. A link to a website I will not click nor name because that looks like a virus. Uh, Free scucks. Fuck at VGS. I love at VGS. (laughs) Allie is cute. And yo, (laughs) shout out Dawn the stupid African. Jesus Christ. <laughs>
1: here's here's my favorite from 37 minutes ago. Yo Fred is so cute at entitled smurf 27. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is fantastic and this is this is ongoing. So uh it's it's very very interesting. I, I want to know how this happened. I can't wait for the story that's going to come out of this after the fact, but uh, this, yeah, shout out Ali.
1: This has happened to him a couple of times before.
0: wonder if it's the same individual.
1: I I, I don't remember it being this bad. I followed him for a, for a while, and I, I don't remember it being this bad. <laughs> oh, I my God. All right,
2: All right, wait, wait, real, yeah. wait, wait, real quick. You remember how last week we had that whole thing about Rob Liefeld's Twitter? Yeah. yeah. So I believe uh, that Sean made a joke at that point where – or we talked about it about every week we should read something from Rob Liefeld's Twitter. And I thought this seemed like a really good opportunity to read something that I found that I thought was funny.
0: Throw it out there.
2: Okay. So uh, on Rob Liefeld's Twitter a few days ago, he screenshotted someone's – it looks like a tweet, I guess. But it, it's a post on a social media website. So he screenshotted it and he wrote over – A bunch of the stuff that the person had said it was it was a person trashing him and he he like scribbled over it to make it like positive about himself and it says hey at the crank wild i fixed this for you tough guy tough spelled t-u-f-f great (laughs) (laughs) so it looks like it says hey douchefeld he changes it to liefeld you're all caps for some reason your art has always been scribbled out awesome Characters like Wade or is it Slade, question mark, hard to keep track of shit you, and then he writes over, perfect as he, and then it says as he became who he is, and I, I don't know what he means there. Um, but okay, as he is, something's <laughs> whited out through your awesome pencils and the writing behind the character Rob Liefeld, who blank blank gave him life. hashtag Champion of all time! Exclamation point! You can't put an exclamation point in a in a hashtag, Rob. Um, so <laughs> this is this one was something else. I gotta say,
0: I love it. Uh, I saw that earlier in the week and I was dying. <laughs> My man is petty. (laughs) (laughs) He's the most bitter man in comics. He gets down in the muck like no one else.
2: I got to say this. It's my favorite new segment. I hope you guys are enjoying it because I love reading Rob Liefeld's Twitter.
0: (laughs) So Avengers Endgame uh, was a movie that swept the world and uh, did really well for itself made quite a bit of bank, and uh, it's coming back, it's coming back, in fact, it's the second highest grossing movie of all time, this re-release that they're doing will probably push it over because it's 40 million away from uh, breaking the record that is held by Avatar, the big news with the re-release is that they're putting out new footage so we're going to get 6 minutes of new footage with the oh film. Oh my god. Oh my
2: god.
0: Which will include a uh a, a, an after credit scene and a tribute to Stanley. So this was announced by Kevin Feige last week and it's actually coming back this week. So if you want to see it, make sure you get your tickets because they're probably gonna go uh, pretty fast, and we don't know how long it's gonna last in, in theaters. This this
1: week being the 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 week uh, the week we're, we're it, recording
0: on yeah. uh, the, no, the week is the week the show comes, out. the week that this will be released. yes. Yeah, so right. yeah,
1: <sighs> I f- get fucking good. I,
2: I don't care. Yeah, I don't know. This this was like one of those things where I saw so many people like outraged about it. Um, like, even uh friend of the show, um, Lava Hog on Twitter, who we've been retweeting his Swamp Thing um, mm-hmm. reviews. Like, he, he was, like, like upset about it because he was like, it's just, like, money grubby or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but, like, I don't really care, you know? Like, if they want to put it back out for a week and people want to go see it, like, who gives a shit, you know? It's like, Avatar did this, too. Like, Titanic's done this, like, two or three times. Like, whatever, man. Like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like, and, and like... I don't love that they're adding an end credit scene because I thought it was cool that it didn't have one, but they already added one with the Spider-Man trailer, basically. So it's like, whatever, man. Like, you either saw it when it was new and got that experience, or you didn't. So, like, most people are probably going to see it now for the second time. And if you didn't see it when it was in theaters the first time and you're like, oh, now's my chance to catch it, how much did you fucking care about that anyway?
1: It's probably still in most theaters, right? Like...
0: um. It's playing here in New York in certain theaters, but with very spaced out showings. And mm-hmm. I'm in New York. So I would imagine that in smaller places, it's probably already bounced out. Hmm.
2: I bet I bet back home for me, like in, in New Jersey, I bet it's still playing because there's like some theaters in town. That's what stuff. I was like, thinking
1: too. Yeah. These small, I, I would bet the smaller towns have, are keeping it longer.
2: Maybe. Yeah. Because like the fuck else is going on. Yeah. You know, like if you're a small theater, you probably don't have it. But if you're like a multiplex and- yeah. You can do, like, two or three showings of it, you know, a day or something.
1: I, six minutes of extra content? That's just... That's a, a DVD commentary track. Like,
2: yeah. I I don't... It's whatever. They just want to have new content to be like, oh, it's got new stuff. You got to go see it. Like, whatever. Who cares? I, you, you were either going to see this or you weren't,
0: you know? I think it's, uh, you know, again, much to do about nothing. It's a movie that already came out... Uh, Money grubby. Why does anyone release anything? You know, to make money for cash. Yeah, uh, yeah Logan... Disney doesn't make art altruistically, guys. Right. Logan was re-released. Uh, believe Black Panther was re-released. Infinity War probably was. I've seen Terminator. I saw I saw The Dark Knight last year in theaters. I saw Terminator Two in theaters two years ago. You know who also, cares? Like,
2: isn't isn't this one of those things that like if you if you made this movie. Right, If you worked on this movie and it's number two on the highest grossing list, wouldn't you want to be number one? You're 40 million dollars away? Like, fuck it. Like
1: I don't know that that to me, especially,
2: geez, how long has it been? A month since it came out? Yeah. Like,
0: uh, ish yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it came out. closer
2: to like six weeks, I think.
1: It just doesn't it doesn't seem fair. It, to g- judge it by that standard, uh, it didn't make as much money as we wanted to make as number one. Well, we'll release it again.
0: It came out in April twenty sixth, by the way. What 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 are you saying there, Kale? What do you mean?
1: Well, Pete's point was like you know, you your movie came out and it got second place of all time. Would not you want it to be number one? So my point is like. Is that that's not how they do it, right? Like, that's not what they No,
2: I mean, it is because, like, Avatar did this too, I think. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, right? No, like, it did it. That's, yeah. That seems unfair. That seems And Titanic. Shitty. And Titanic why? did that too. Why
0: is it so shitty?
1: You can just re release your movie, and if it works, it counts. And if it doesn't,
2: ah, well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, that, why isn't that fair? You know, because, like, I think that's the whole thing, right? Like, if you put it. If you put it out and people want to pay to go see it again, then that that seems – that's fair. People went and paid to go see it, you know? Because it's like theoretically anyone could do this, but it's cost prohibitive to do so, you know? So like effectively like a company like Disney is taking a gamble on the fact that, oh, people will go back and see this again if we put it out and we make a thing of it. And they will. That's the thing. I bet on opening night, it'll probably be a full house. Like Sean said, it'll probably sell out a lot of these showings. And if it does, they'll make their fucking money. They'll get to claim it's the highest grossing movie of all time when they fucking sell the DVD and the Blu-ray. And that's the thing that they can point to their investors and be like, look how fucking successful we are. Like, yeah, man, it's business. It's business as
0: usual. Hmm. So speaking of Avengers Endgame... There's a there's a a different cut of the movie floating around. Uh it doesn't have extra footage, it's actually missing footage. The Snyder cut? No, it's the defeminization edit. Oh my god, I fucking. They did this, this again? Yeah, they did yeah. it again. God damn. They removed <laughs> Captain Marvel entirely. They removed any scene in which Men hug. (laughs) They removed Spider-Man needing help from women. And things of that nature.
2: I remember reading the description on like Pirate Bay or whatever it was where they were originally circulating it and they were like removes all feminism. And I was just like Jesus Christ. Like how, how fucking like I just I can't imagine being that angry about like anything like anything when it comes to like, like like be like watching a movie and being so frothing at the mouth they're like I'm gonna download this movie and edit out all the scenes of men hugging because it's the SJW agenda it's just like oh my god dude like you're such a cartoon character
0: it's sick it's a, it's a sickness and it makes it's like
2: pathological
0: it's a it's it's actually scary. Like normally, I just laugh at it. This one freaked me out because men hugging is a part of the the the, the feminist SJW agenda. agenda. Like, have have men not hugged throughout history? Is that new? I don't I don't feel like that's new.
1: Like only we know, queers, Sean. We, but oh. we know we know Spartans fucked like each, each other. Yeah, and like young yeah. boys. Like oh. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that it happened.
0: (laughs) You slid that in there. Um, Yeah, and the Spartans are revered by those same kinds of people, but they conveniently forget that part.
2: Well, because they focus on how they were manly tough guys with shimmering muscles, and there's nothing you know, homoerotic about them at all. No, not at all. Yeah, no, they just have really greased up abs, and I love that about them, and they're super... They like I really love watching movies and reading books where they physically dominate other men with their muscles. Yeah, there's nothing queer about that at all. No, I totally love women. Yeah, no, I love big ripply muscly. Men. You know, it's just like, guys, like, it's okay. Like, you know, like it's it's okay. God damn, like,
1: Pete, push down your bone around. I don't need to see that right now. <laughs> Saturday morning. Not for you. Well what, what makes you think I want to see it? Now Saturday night. <laughs>
2: well, I figured I figured you're in the mood for it. It's night time for you. You're you not know? Phil. Oh, fair enough.
0: Uh, so, keeping on the track of Avengers Endgame, Kevin Feige talked again about the first LGBT character ever. That being uh, the character that um, Joe Russo. Joe played. Russo played, yeah, and the one who I was thought- talking to Cap in the support group.
2: I thought that, uh oh, I guess it's not canonical. Sorry, I was going to say, I thought that Valkyrie was supposed to be by.
1: It's not, yeah, it's not canonical because they took that
2: scene out of the movie. Uh, right, okay,
0: okay. Kevin Feige had this to say on, on the subject. That was never meant to be our first focused character. That was just meant to be a matter of fact and a matter of life and a matter of truth. And I liked it that our hero, Steve Rogers, doesn't blink an eye at that fact. It is just truth and it is heartbreaking for his loss and for the life he's trying to put back together. It was never meant to be looked at as our first hero. I guess it's the first reference, so it does, of course, get a lot of attention. First of all, this is me now talking. Why is he saying... Why is he not saying gay? Like, why Why is that not... That's It's weird the way that was said. Um, I would say it again. I didn't he's even not, He's not... Okay, you want me to repeat the, the quote? Yeah, please. Or, okay. Just that that was, yeah, just that, that was never meant to be our first focused character. That was just meant to be a matter of fact and a matter of life and a matter of truth. And I liked it that our hero, Steve Rogers, doesn't blink an eye at that fact. It is just truth and is heartbreaking for his loss and for the life he's trying to put back together. It was never meant to be looked at as our first hero. I guess it's the first reference, so it does, of course, get a lot of attention. Our first what hero? Yeah, he sure doesn't say that word. Yeah, well,
2: and it's, like, not even that you have to necessarily say gay or queer, but, like, you could have just said, like, the loss of his husband. Like, and I wouldn't have even batted an eye at it, but it feels, like, very, like, surgical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, we're going to be very clear to not say inclusive or any of the words that are going to show up on some white supremacist yeah. Google alerts. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Focused
1: character is a really interesting term for that.
0: Yeah, and and it was never meant to be looked at as our first hero. The the character's not a hero at all. So like it's I feel like just a person. I feel like gay goes there. Our first gay character, not yeah. hero. Very 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 weird. Um, and, very weird. And didn't didn't he say that?
1: Uh, I'll say it. A gay character. <laughs> didn't he say that there would be a, a gay character? I guess I assumed it would be someone that wasn't a a blink and you'll miss it cameo, but like I, I was under the impression that there would be something, some major representation in this film, and he said that.
0: He he didn't say that explicitly. He just said that there would be a gay character in the movie, and people took that and ran with it and made it a lot more than he did. But I think that when you, and this is, it's weird that they didn't recognize this, um, but when you haven't had any type of LGBT character in the Marvel movies yet, when you say that it's going to happen, it creates automatically the perception that it's going to be a big deal, because for a certain population, it is a big deal. So when that character is a nobody, that's fine, but why even mention it? That was my thing, like... I watched that whole movie, not even realizing that exactly that Joe Russo was gay, or not not, not that he was gay, but that he was the character being referenced. I was waiting yeah. for Captain Marvel to kiss Valkyrie, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that didn't happen. That's fine that it didn't happen. I don't need that to happen. Just maybe don't say anything about it. Like, be play it cool. Like, just yeah. let it happen.
2: Yeah, like it. It feels it. I think it reeks very much of um like a performative action. You know, like like very similarly to the uh and this was something that I saw a lot of like, you know, like feminist critics uh, calling out was like the scene of all the women characters lining up it's like most of these characters have never talked or met or anything like that before and it feels very much like look at all of our yeah. women and look how yeah. great we are for having a queer character in this movie and it's like that's not like it feels like they're patting themselves on the back for doing like the bare minimum you know um like it would be like them being like oh look how great our like our black representation is for Iron Man having a black friend versus, like, them doing Black Panther, you know? And I feel like that's kind of what people wanted was that kind of representation. And not to say that there being a, a gay man in Cap support group isn't good representation because, yeah, like, normal people are gay and normalizing that and having Cap not make a thing of it is is good but having a a press release or being like we're gonna have our first gay character in this movie like and, and allowing that to be a talking point and then that being the representation is not uh a good look
0: Yeah, i just yeah i think just don't say anything you know like just yeah. let it be what it is it feels like every other article i read is like get ready the representation yeah. is coming. Diversity is on the way. Phase what, yeah. 4 is going to be crazy representative. Like, yeah, right, it's bro. like...
1: It's like... Like, fine. Like, this is your first gay character, but, like, it's clearly not a character of consequence. Like, this isn't a movie about normal people. This is a movie about superheroes. So why why would you even think that that would matter?
0: We have our first paper boy in a Marvel movie. Yeah. Like, okay... <laughs> I don't. I don't care. Like I. I don't mean that. Like that. I care. Not in like a flippant
2: way. Yeah. It's just like you shouldn't be like fucking. That's not a news line. Yeah. That's right. not a thing you should be like being like. Oh, look at us. We're so progressive. You know. Yeah. Like I'm tired no, of dude. reading it.
0: Just, just when it happens. That's. It's, it'll happen, and hopefully it'll be good, and everybody will be happy. But until then, I don't want to read anymore. Of Kevin Feige or Victoria Alonso or whoever talking about all this representation, more black people. Okay, already do it and let it be done. That's it. That's where I yeah. Come and from. it's like just
2: do just do it and like don't like fucking I don't know like yeah like it's stop talking about it. Yes, it's exactly it's masturbatory. It feels like they're like please give us praise for how good we are for doing this. Yeah, well, and it's like D-.
1: and the other part of that is like as they're as they're jerking themselves off about it and so little comes out you know like oh yeah gross right <laughs> but, but like it kind of shows their hand even more it's like you know oh our first major gay character is going to just be a regular dude and he's going to be on screen for 10 seconds and and oh, we've got we got all oh, this black representation, uh, but not Black Panther, not yet. Uh, not yet. Slow down, slow down, slow down. We're not you're <laughs> we're not ready for that. You know what I mean? What? It's like you're you're kind of you're kind of showing your
0: cards a little bit. Like I don't know. I just I just feel like it's 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 much to do about nothing on their end. Like. We, this is this is supposed to be a business where you show and, and don't tell, right? Yes, like, yeah. Just do yeah. that. That's that's really what it
2: comes down to.
1: But uh, back to that Gail Simone thing. It's just like it's a business where you have to stay on top of the news, and that's where your club comes from. And so, this but is, they're
0: making. Yeah,
1: ahead. I I agree. I I totally agree. But it's but, like it, you know, uh,
0: this is how they dominate they're making the movie look worse they're making yep. themselves look bad like you can t- there's so many things to talk about and, <laughs> and for some reason they keep talking about this and it's like and it's not just the gay character but like the representation angle in general hmm. I feel like every time Kevin Feige talks it's about that
1: and, and guess what The movie's coming out again you can see that gay guy again you can fucking see him
2: that is the. Se- this is our second queer appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Look at oh, how man. progressive we are! Damn, two of them, two whole characters. <laughs> yeah, they're the same guy in the same movie, but we put the movie out twice. That counts,
0: doesn't it? All right, let's let's talk about something else. Let's talk about Graphite Comics. So, Graphite Comics uh, is a. A free, you know, digital app basically where you can read comics online for free if you want to. Um, they got an article in the New York Times, and the the headline is "Like comic books, this platform picks titles for you." And essentially, Graphite Comics uses artificial intelligence. This is from the article. It uses artificial artificial intelligence to suggest content based on the taste of its users. Now, I read that and I stopped immediately because I wanted to see exactly how that worked. So Ooh, I- o- Matt Murphy
1: <laughs> nope. to look into.
0: <laughs> I opened up their website, graphic- graphitecomics.com, and I wanted to see if I could figure out what the website was supposed to be without actually reading the article, right? So I I, I went on, and there was no type of guidance at all. Uh, you go on, and you guys will have a link to it if you want to do this for yourself. You go on, you see the word graphite in your left, uh, let your left eye. It will guide you there because it's it's pretty, like. Bright colors and stuff, it looks really cool, so it says Graphite Limitless comics get drawn in that's their that's their their tagline. Um, at no point does the website tell you how the process works. You scroll down and you just see the names of comic books, and you can click on them if you want to, and you click on one, um, you get pre- presented what books are available to read from from this uh, on this website. And you just click through. There is no point at which I was shown anything about the artificial intelligence angle at all. It is not mentioned anywhere on the front page. Um, I don't even know how to
2: find it on the website. I, I don't, like, yeah, I'm looking at it myself. I don't see, like, any sort of... I'm trying to look at, like, the about section, and I don't, like, see anything... I don't. I don't see anything that like talks about that even.
0: Right. That was the next thing that I chose to do was go to the uh, the the insider. That's what it's called. It's not even. It's not even about. You got to click insider, which sounds like you know what does that even mean, right? Um,
2: well, it's weird too because like then there is like the the website's not very well designed. Like, yeah. You go to like an older part of the website when you get there, and there's like you can see that like the it doesn't seem like their com has been updated. Like recently,
0: right? Which is fine. It's just weird that the entire New York Times piece—I uh, mean, not the entire piece—but that's that—that's the selling point, right? Is is that it can do that, and that's not available on on the website. Um, maybe the reason that they're not talking about it is because it's not ready yet. But um, maybe my thing
2: is. What is I don't understand how this works because there's all like there's just free comics on this website, yeah, like it's how does it make money
0: okay, so that that's the other element of it uh, you can read the books for free, but there will be ads, or oh, okay, you can see, I have an ad blocker, so I never saw any ads at all, um, yeah, me
2: too, <laughs> but
0: you can also pay five dollars a month to be able to read the comics with no ads similar to like Hulu, right, um, but that's not up yet either that's not accessible the the ability to pay i didn't see that anywhere on the website um uh, so i guess this really is just the early days of their their program which again totally fine it just comes across as a little weird to me the way this is being presented but anyways i digress it just seems
2: like bad timing for the article like if that's the long-term plan or whatever that's super attractive to me You know, I think this sounds like a great program and the fact that you can read comics for free with ads and stuff like that. I think that's brilliant. Like, I'm glad somebody's trying to make that work. So, like, the whole curation thing sounds great. Being able to read, like, legit real published comics with minimal invasive ads just like if you were reading a regular comic, fine. Like, that sounds brilliant. Why are you publicizing it in the New York Times now when the website doesn't reflect any of that information?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a bad look. So Michael Eng, who is the Did you check out the app?
2: No, I didn't. I'm going to download the app and see. Um, you, you keep keep reading and I'll I'll check out if the app like has the I'm, I'm, AI stuff. I'm doing it on my iPad now and the
0: preview uh looks looks bad. <laughs> there you go. Uh so Michael Eng said there is no solution right now that serves comics in all its forms, which Is a weird statement. I'm not entirely sure what he meant by that. Um, The website hopes to provide us with a one-stop shop to get all the comics we might want to check out. And to do it in such a way that resembles a Netflix model of providing you with recommendations based on your taste. And we've talked a lot about a Netflix for comics and when that will finally come out. These guys are trying to provide that. Um, the, so it doesn't have anything from Marvel or DC, uh, and probably never will. I would, I wouldn't imagine that they would be willing to give their comics away for free like this, but, um, a lot Not of, unless there was a serious financial incentive to do so. Right. A lot of other comic book publishers are represented here. Uh, boom is here. Um, IDW here. Dynamite's here. Uh, Tokyo pop paper cuts. Don't think Image is here. Pretty sure they're not here. Um, so, you know, again, like, if you are a person who doesn't have a lot of money to spend on books, but you like comics, there's good stuff here. Irredeemable yeah. is here. Go-Go oh, Power Rangers is here.
2: Um, is Top ahead. Cow still a part of Image? Because Top Cow on their list. I hadn't thought about that. Like, I don't remember them going independent, but... They are, but they're not. It's... Okay, yes, it's it's still, still the imprint thing. So Top Cow's here, so there are some
0: image books. Yeah, so... Um, but I mean,
2: Boom and IDW, Legendary, like, those Those are, you know, they've got great shit.
0: Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. And again, it's all available now for free to read if you want to check that out. Um, what do you guys think about the, I guess, the, the overall idea here? Kale, you haven't really spoken up. I
1: it's interesting to me that they say it's, it's something like this hasn't been done uh, because Comixology I guess hasn't been done for free I guess is the point um, because Comixology Unlimited has a, a recommend, recommended section for you based on what you've read before and for me they nail it every time and I, I, I don't think my you know, I don't think my um, selection is super unique but it's also not you know i don't think it's uh uh stereotypical either like i, I feel like i'm pretty spread out across the board and and comicology gets it every time so i don't i i don't know um the the app opens and it it asks you to set an age um and it it defaults you at at 16 and up um but you can only go higher if you subscribe
2: yeah i made an account um it took 2 seconds i'm in the app right now and looking at stuff but uh still there's
1: no there's no indication of this of this ai
2: so my thing is i wonder if the ai kicks in after you've looked at stuff that's why i'm just like i'm like opening some shit right now and trying to see if that's going to like Oh, you read this, so you might like this, you know? Right. I'm kind. I'm kind of thinking that's that's probably the deal. Well, but I don't know. It, it could just be that they don't have that functionality yet, and it's like that's their long term plan. But
0: the article doesn't even address that, um, so who knows? But I would imagine that that's the case because obviously it's not. It's not there yet. Oh. i have to say though uh just just like looking at this
2: like uh, this is really impressive that this is like free i don't under like th- there are like some great books on here like irredeemable mm. incorruptible are both on this uh giant days which is a book that i know both uh marco and i enjoyed um there's some like 18 plus stuff like sunstone that that uh Stefan saja comic that uh yeah that Murphy likes um that I used to look at on deviant art when I was a little pervert um uh, mouse guards on here like there's lots of stuff that's like worth checking out and it's go go power Rangers which you guys both liked or the
1: the selection admittedly is impressive for sure and it's
2: it's free like
1: but I I just don't I don't know. And it
2: runs pretty well. Like, I have the app on my phone. Like, it's the comics are opening quickly. They're loading fast. Like, there's a little bit of load time every once in a while when I'm trying to, like, turn pages quickly. But it fits well. And, it, it like, it's ser- it's serviceable at the very least in terms of, like, you know, this as a, uh, yeah, as, as a comics reader. And, like, that's not nothing. You know, like, it's it's the first volume and it's free. So, like... Honestly like I kind of don't know why you wouldn't go download this and check it out cuz like right. you're interested in any of it like Fucking why not read it here for free they're not we're not
1: they're not sponsoring us
2: calm down
0: give me some money <laughs> I'm just saying it looks cool Uh yeah give it a whirl if you want to uh there are definitely, definitely some, checking it out. some comics on here that I would like to read that I haven't gotten around to for whatever reason um I'll be more interested in this when it works the way they plan it to work but for now um give it a go try it yeah for now it's just like get some free books dude (laughs) yeah uh so let's move on let's quickly discuss a new indie publisher called a wave blue world which i gotta say that's like the worst name i've heard of for a publisher (laughs) um it's just like dude it is
2: 2019 we are running out of company names (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> there aren't there aren't enough acronyms or onomatopoeias in the world.
0: So, a blave a a, blave, a wave blue there you world.
1: Go. <laughs> there you fucking go. That's the problem right there. Yeah.
0: They they have a, an interesting approach to their distribution model. Um they're trying to serve all the possible uh comic book audiences at once. Uh so basically okay. <laughs> Uh so basically they they're going to have I I'll, I'll just I'll just read from the article. Uh so Lisa Wu who joined the company as VP of Sales and Marketing after a stint in Aftershock Comics said in a statement that the new publishing program is a part of A Wave Blue World's ambition to reinvent modern approach to to enjoying comics we are redefining comics for our retailers and readers for the 21st century and that we are placing their values into the designs of how we publish the stories today and tomorrow so here's how it works after the print edition of a series debuts so the first issue readers can choose to follow a serialized version of the story digitally with subsequent issues released on a bi-weekly schedule. Or they can wait for a completed print edition collection of the entire series, released within two months of the initial single issue. So, so
1: based, basically, they're they're doing it the way comics are supposed to be put out. What do you mean? Uh, an issue comes out two weeks later. There's another issue, and then eventually, when it's all finished, there's a trade.
0: However. You. But it doesn't appear they're also putting out a number one. Yeah, you can't buy from what I like. What I'm getting out of this, you can't buy like number two, number three, number four in print. That's because it. it, Yeah, it's digital. You you can't like it's. I'll I'll read it again after the print edition of a series debuts, which again number one readers can choose to follow a serialized version of the story digitally with subsequent issues released on a bi-weekly schedule, or they can wait for a co- completed print edition collection of the entire series released within two months of the initial single issue. That's interesting. So
1: the only issue that comes
0: out in a floppy is the
1: first one? Yeah. Oh. Huh. That's
2: very Interesting. Hmm.
1: Um, and then what do
2: you? Does it say is there a price point on that first issue? No. So I, I think that's interesting because it it specifically reminds me of a comment uh, on Facebook that I read the other day from a friend of the show, Mark Bouchard. I was just he's thinking a, about this too. Yeah, he's a creator, um, and he's he's an indie creator, so you know he has exclusively like worked with smaller publishers or self published and stuff. Um, I'm sorry they uh have uh have exclusively worked with um smaller publishers or are doing self publishing and stuff like that, so the other day uh when we were talking about what we'll be talking about in our main topic uh they made a point here that he are they said book market is where it's at floppies are dead. we need to stop pretending that they're anything more than paying to print the trade and that that effectively is what You know, uh, it it seems like that is their ethos here, you know, is that they they uh, a wave blue world is saying that they, you know, they're going to put out this number one. If you want to take a shot on the book and help see it get printed, like you buy that number one, you have that collector's item, I guess. And, you know, after that, like you can either wait for the trade like a lot of people already do or go read digitally, which is, I think. You know, increasingly going to become the norm, and it seems like they're betting on that sooner than later. How?
1: How? I guess. I guess I don't understand how issues two
2: through five happen digitally. Digitally. I get, but otherwise, you only get them in a volume, right? So
1: essentially, what there's. But are you paying for each issue? No. You're only paying for issue one, and then and, you, and then, then you, you get do
2: f- one or the other,
1: and then you can pick.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you buy issue one if you love it and want more. Now in two weeks you can buy issue two, and so on and so forth. Okay, so you, you
1: do you do pay for issue two?
0: Yes, digitally. Okay, right. You pay for individual digital issues. It, it and and again, like it's confusing, right? And I feel. For like for me, and, and TKO Comics had a similar model, we, we talked about kind them, TKO Studios, we talked about them a while ago, but for me, neither one of these companies has the clout to really make waves in the industry to change the way that we read comics. And I know that you can't just keep trying to do the same old thing, but I don't feel like... This is going to be the thing that cracks the code and lets them make you know billions of dollars off comics that no one else is making. Uh if someone's gonna crack the code, it's most likely going to be Marvel, DC, or image, and everyone else will have to change the way they do things to copy them. Uh I I, I have a I have a feeling that this will alienate. a a, a portion of the audience that they're that they should be striving for and again a lot of comic book companies are chasing this elusive um inactive reader this this individual out there who doesn't read comics but is waiting for that right pitch or that right uh publishing model to jump on board and there's no proof that that person exists
2: i don't I, I, the thing is i i think that person definitely exists i don't know that they're interested in this book though or these books you know like most people's like most i think of those inactive readers are turned on by a property that they already know you know like i've had plenty of uh you know friends or acquaintances who didn't read comics and weren't familiar with comics and then saw a movie or watched a TV show or something that was based on a comic and then went and read that source material. Cause they liked that IP and then that was their gateway, you know, or, or there's the odd person who gets given a copy of saga or something and then they're they're in. But you know, like I, I think that those people are, are not, going to go out and look for an indie gem by a publisher that nobody knows and that's the problem
1: you know i think the other thing too though is is you know i'm a trade waiter so you know when you do like tko and you you present a line uh, a line of books with various options for me to have the whole story right now either in floppy or in trade or digitally you know, you you do have the chance to to activate uh, for you know to use your terminology uh, to activate uh, uh, at least a sale because with TKO's model, I was I was there, I was ready to go uh, because the whole is right there, and I only have to pay you know the a certain amount for a trade. I granted, I I, I think I agree that's probably not going to activate, you know, uh, people off the street. But I I think it if it caught on well enough, it you know, god, anything to disrupt the diamond monopoly, fucking anything.
0: But that's that's what I'm talking about though. Like it's not it's not like there isn't an individual or some people who could be turned on by this. But I'm talking about the... the
1: mass market.
0: Right. There, yeah. Like, there's this idea that keeps being perpetuated that someone that's not Marvel and not DC and probably not even Image is going to have an idea or a way of presenting comics that's going to unleash this geyser of fans that don't read comics for whatever reason but are waiting for that mystical uh, concept. And I don't believe that's true. I... I I don't have a reason to buy that. I think like I said earlier, it's it's if someone is going to change the way comics are published and that's going to lead to some kind of breakthrough, it's going to be Marvel or DC. It's not going to be TKO Comics. I'm sorry. And their their comics could be awesome. I have no idea they're not going to be the ones to get it done.
2: No, and you're you're definitely right. Like that's just that's just like the fact of it yeah, because
1: they're, they're because the big three aren't gonna change it because it benefits them.
2: Well, I don't even mean that. I, I think it's just that like Sean's point, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but I I think your point is that the only uh, because of how niche comics are, like we like to think of like oh Marvel and DC are and even Image right are like these big massive companies, but like even the big massive companies in this space. Their, their volumes are not that big. So, like, I don't think you can have a, dis- like a disruptive, you know, to use that, like, very um, Silicon Valley, like, marketing term. I don't think you can have a disruptive force in comics that isn't an entrenched business.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, it, like for example, um, just because this is, this is how I relate, like, wrestling. You couldn't have had ECW, which was the counterculture uh, organization, without the WWF and and WCW being billion-dollar companies that put on shows that thousands of people went to see every single week. You know, they, they in it, it, the industry was already huge, and that meant that there was space for someone who did things differently. And even the person, the people that did things differently, all that happened was that they they had great ideas that then got absorbed by the big two. And then that company folded. That's the kind of thing that I I'm talking about.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing is, honestly, I don't think that the solution that we're always talking about, I don't think it comes from Marvel or D.C., Unless they just decide, hey, we're going to flip the fucking table in terms of how we publish books, which to Kale's point, I don't think will happen because that's how they make money and their business is already kind of shoestring. So like taking a gamble like that could fucking topple the whole thing. Well, you know um, what?
0: Let's, let's, uh, let's stop right there because we're about to that, – that could easily thread us into the main topic and – go ahead. Let me just finish this thought. I think that that solution comes from someone like
2: an Amazon which we've talked about in the past. I think it's a third party tech company that finds this solution more so than a publishing edition. And I'll party put the pay in there.
0: Yeah. yeah. You, you very well may be uh, correct on that. Um, I, I, I want to, I want to jump into the main topic, but I do want to quickly talk about something that I think is pretty cool and it won't be relevant at any other time. Really? Um, Batman is going to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Uh, so he can't, it can't, it won't happen until 2020, but it is happening. And DC has been very much trying to get a big push for Batman in 2019 because it's his 80th anniversary. And uh, it's been 30 years this year, this weekend, actually, this weekend right now, since Tim Burton's Batman. Since
1: so, yesterday, thirty years ago was the day that Michael Keaton spoiled it on David
0: Letterman. <laughs> is that is that true?
1: Have you not seen that clip going around? Yeah, he he no. totally spoils the ending of uh, of, oh of that first <laughs> Batman movie.
0: That's insane. That's funny. Um, so I just wanted to ask you guys a question. And a question.
2: Oh oh oh! <laughs> Jeez, it's been a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would you say that it's a random
0: question of the week oh, I sure would I'm gonna have wow to okay. unclog Great. those
1: pipes it was uh, a <laughs> dust coming out of there Couple yeah
0: ups. yeah the question yeah. is if Batman were to be getting a shrine instead of a star who's which actor's face or portrayal would be the one that appears or which comic book artist rendition of batman would you choose to uh represent the character
1: adam west as a celebrity as the as the as the live action whatever uh i i think i'd go something Classic, maybe like a Norm Brayfogle or a, uh, a, a Neil Adams. I think that's what I would cause that, I, or or even I, I would even go as far as to say uh, the animated series. And I feel like I feel like that those sort of line up as like the classic images of of
0: Batman. What about you, Pete? I agree with
2: Adam West, um, just because I think he you know he's like the first and i think that he is the one batman that i think has been relevant to every generation of batman fans from then until now because i think like in when, some fashion yeah when the show was contemporary he was batman um he was in you know they had the the brave and the bold show which was like based on that like the the that aesthetic of batman is something that is has remained in the cultural consciousness uh, in a way that I don't know that any other one Batman actor really has that claim. Um, so I, I would give it to him. And I think for the artist's rendition, I think I would actually pick Alex Ross. Because I, I think his style would not only translate well to a to a statue. Because it is very like realistic. Um, but I also think it's a really good mix of the more modern... Batman and the classic Batman. Like it's not the blue, but it's the black and gray. And yeah, he's like got a little bit more of a like a streamlined look, but he's still got the big belt, you know? And like I, I feel like it's a good mixture of classical elements and modern interpretations of the character. And I think that's like what is so good about Batman is like he's an endearing an enduring figure, you know? Um he he's been relevant almost you know on a cultural like a mass culture level, level almost the in, since his inception and i don't i don't that's not true of really any other superhero like there's been good runs there's been good moments or whatever but like i i don't i don't know that there's another superhero with as much just like clout as batman you know he's pretty much always been fucking cool somewhere
0: <laughs> so uh i didn't consider the uh the 60s batman as being like the, the the rendition to go with um but i think that's actually a really good answer i'm just going to go with what i had originally thought of just because uh my answer was uh obviously val kilmer's batman well no, done. i'm just kidding i'm just kidding. well done okay um, interesting interesting <laughs> choice Sean. <laughs> <laughs> no uh no my my answer is actually michael Keaton. because I'll never forget when I saw that Batman for the first time. That changed my life. I wouldn't be the the fan that I am of of all of this stuff if it wasn't for that. And so because of that, that's what I would want to see enshrined as far as like an actor's portrayal. Um I'm
2: down with that. Michael Keaton's my personal favorite Batman.
0: So and that's what's funny. He's not my personal favorite Batman. My personal favorite Batman is Christian Bale. Of course. But, yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, what, he, Christian uh, Bale's a bad motherfucker, too. I, I uh, yeah, no. lots of good Batman. I, I, I,
1: wasn't, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't blowing that choice off at all. I, just, I mean, yeah, of course. I, just, I mean, he's
0: good. He, <laughs> he's in
2: the best one? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then for the artist, I, I was going to say Alex Ross because of everything Pete said, so I won't belabor it. But, uh, yeah, I just... I think it's so cool that um Batman has been such an enduring figure and that he's going to get a star on the Walk of Fame or in the Hall of the yeah, the Walk of Fame. Um it costs $30,000 actually to get that done. What? So I wonder who's going to pay that?
2: D- DC. Oh, fucking
0: DC. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Shit, though. That's fucking crazy. I didn't know it cost that much. Yeah. That's wild, dude. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, like, I think there's an argument to be made that Superman's the the character that's the most representative of superheroes, but I don't think there's a better candidate to represent comic books and superhero culture better than Batman when you're talking about the Hollywood Walk of Fame, because there's, there, the, I don't think there's a character that has as many good interpretations as, as he does on screen. Not even close. Is
1: and we don't have to talk about this for long. Is this something that should be? Like, traditionally, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, as I understand it, is for outstanding performances and, and you
2: know, a- actual actors. There have been for characters before. Have there? It's not, okay. Yeah, Batman's not the first. Okay. Um I don't I don't remember who, but I know I like when I went to LA and I was like, oh, I'm going to go walk and look at the stars cuz that's, you know, a thing to do. Um I, I remember like seeing I think at least one for like a fictional character.
1: Like surely Mickey Mouse has one.
2: Like uh, Yeah, like I think Mickey Mouse has one. I think it's like big like culturally relevant icons like that. Okay, okay. One, um that have been represented by like multiple actors or voice actors or what have you?
0: Uh yeah I I I definitely see what you're saying Kale and that was actually my first thought was like wait a second Batman's not a human yeah um but uh you know if, I, I I you know it's cool if there's there are seventeen if there if there's Apparently.
1: precedent fine but I, like if if Batman were the first I'd be like mm, I don't know
0: that. <laughs> that'd be a little weird like I think like <laughs> to what Pete said I guess Mickey Mouse right like would be. That would make more sense. Yeah.
2: Mickey, Bugs Bunny, Snow White, Woody Woodpecker, Big Bird, The Simpsons, Rugrats, Kermit the Frog, Godzilla, Donald Duck, Winnie the Pooh, uh Shrek, Tinkerbell, The Muppets. So it's like that level of character. Snoopy. Shrek, huh? All
0: right. Yeah, that one that one threw me. Shrek. Yeah. All right. Shrek was a
2: moment, dude. I know. Back in two thousand, you know, like it was a, it was a
0: it was a big deal. Yeah, but but like yeah, so Mickey Mouse, Shrek. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> Mickey Mouse, Batman, Shrek. I mean, I guess if DreamWorks wants to pay the money, fine. Like, okay, yeah, thirty k. You got thirty. 30- listen, I'm actually starting a fund right now of thirty k to get the comics pals on the on the Walk of Fame. That would be Shit, fucking yeah. wild. Let's do yeah. it, man. But, start uh, that campaign. <laughs> listen, it's it's happening. Uh, so we'll we'll uh, we'll jump into the main topic now. We're going to talk about the end of Vertigo. So this week, DC made the announcement that they were going to be uh, restructuring their publishing imprints and stream- oh boy. <laughs> streamlining their line, which means the elimination of their other pillar imprints, if you will. Uh so this appears to have more to do at least the way they're presenting it with the age uh, appropriateness of their various lines. So currently they have DC and they, they, I'm just talking about the the representation of age here. They have DC Kids which is for, you know, young young kids. Uh they have or oh I'm sorry. They have DC Zoom which is for young kids. They have and they have Inc, which is for like, uh, no, 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 no. I think I, I think I might be getting this wrong. Let me let me let me do this properly. DC Kids is for young people, um, eight to twelve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then there's and that was DC, DC Zoom. right? Yeah, it's so yeah. so. Yeah, that weird. used to be Zoom. Now it'll be Kids. Kids, right? right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. DC Inc. Was for the like teenagers, kind I think. Yeah,
1: kind of the young adult. The, yeah. Yeah,
0: young adults. I had it right the first time. I fucked myself up. Um, and then DC, uh, black label is obviously for, for adults. Um, well, that's, that's gonna change because they had also Vertigo, they also have, um, the, uh, the pop-up imprints Young Animal, then there's the Wonder Comics from Bendis, and then there's the whatever the Sandman universe is called, um, which I know actually that's in Vertigo. But uh,
2: no, but like it's not now, Sandman universe is one of the pop-ups.
0: Right, now. right, 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 yeah. Um, and then there's also Jinx World and Milestone, so those are all the pop-ups. And then Wildstorm, did you say that one? Uh, No, I didn't. So that one too, Wildstorm. Yeah. So those are all safe. Those are all safe. What's not safe is Vertigo. So essentially, DC is getting rid of Vertigo comics. They're streamlining their their lines, so there won't be Zoom or Ink anymore. It will just be DC Kids, DC, and DC Black Label. DC Kids is for children. DC Regulars for teenagers and adults, and DC Black Label is for adults. Now, the big story here, the the story that everyone's talking about, of course, is that Vertigo is going away. And we talked about this uh, a couple few weeks ago because Bleeding Cool ran an article that that was the rumor. They thought that the announcement would come as early as whenever we talked about it. Uh, Obviously, DC took a little while to make that announcement clear. But we are losing Vertigo. Uh, Vertigo currently does publish several titles, including American Carnage, which is a favorite over here, at least of mine. But um, there have been a lot of problems with the books that are being published by Vertigo currently. Uh, some of the, We had the uh, Border Town by Eric Esquivel, which was the first book that they put out. And of course, that was... Uh, almost immediately cancelled because we learned that Eric Esquivel is a sexual predator um, so that sucks uh, Second Coming which was a, I would say a pretty well anticipated vertical book DC decided to release the rights of that book back to the creators because of the petition from conservatives who didn't want that book to see the light of day And then there's also Safe Sex, which was supposed to come out through Vertigo, that is now going to be published by Image. So there have been a lot of problems with the Vertigo titles, and they haven't—the ones that did actually come out—haven't sold tremendously well. So I guess DC is making the decision to get rid of it, especially because um, there are lots of the what Vertigo was famous for is kind of everywhere now. Uh, So Dan Didio had the following to say about the cancellation of Vertigo. We launched Vertigo to provide an outlet for edgier material. That kind of material is now mainstream across all genres. So we thought it was the right time to bring greater clarity to the DC brand and reinforce our commitment to storytelling for all of our fans and every age group. This new system will replace the age ratings we currently use on our material. So uh, that's a lot of verbiage. Lots of people have have come out and had things to say about the cancellation of Vertigo. Uh, People who, you know, work for Vertigo, people who uh, like Karen Berger uh, obviously has a huge connection to Vertigo, given that she's the person who started it. Um, But I do want to get your guys thoughts. This is going to be a wider conversation about what DC is actually trying to do with their with their publishing line. Why vertigo doesn't work in the modern era, or whether or not d c just didn't try hard enough, and what we can expect from the future of d c comics Pete you were hot on this
2: and and i i think I'm hot on it because I'm just so interested in talking about it because i I truly don't understand it as a as a creative decision i guess um obviously, i think the ver- like the the points you laid out are. Are definitely true that like vertigo has I think struggled to <clears throat> to not like necessarily find its identity but to like live up to its identity because I think w- when you think about vertigo you know what vertigo represents you know and ultimately I think the point that you made that uh the the quote-unquote like vertigo book right like that kind of book like is is effectively now that niche is is filled by publishers like Image and Black Mask and, you know, like you know, take your pick. Um so exactly what they were doing wasn't necessarily unique for the industry, but it was unique for DC as a publishing line. You know, so I I, I guess I I understand the motivation to have these um age ranges more streamlined for for the, the, the uninitiated, you know, because obviously had the, they had that Batman-damned, uh, you know, controversy, but I argued at the time I thought that was weird because what parent is buying a book for their child that has the word damned in the title and looks like weird and hellish on the front, but hey, that's a conversation for a previous podcast we already did. Um, so I guess doing that, I, I get the motivation as they're trying to court the book market more and more, which we've talked about is an expanding part of of their business and the industry as a whole, uh, statistically speaking. Um, so great. I get that. Why does that mean Vertigo needs to be axed? You know, I feel like the announcement of Vertigo, of that line being ended alongside of this doesn't feel like it feels less motivated by this structural like shifting and more about the fact that like vertigo just isn't very successful right now because like i don't see the difference between vertigo and maybe again and uh, cards on the table i don't work for dc i don't work in (laughs) high level comic publishing oh what the fuck how the hell am i gonna get
1: a job then pete
2: i don't know good luck to you it's been three years we've been doing this (laughs) So what do I know about the differences between how Vertigo operates versus how something like a young animal or a wild storm operates? But I don't get the difference between those things in terms of why is Vertigo a casualty of this and none of these other things are. And I think it seems like it's because Vertigo has a lack of vision and things aren't really working out there. And maybe they're like they're saying, oh, we're still going to, you know, publish – Cre- like creator-focused titles because obviously they're not like necessarily creator-owned um, but that sort of book but I, I don't think that they're going to commit to making that kind of book anymore. I think that the ones that they have that are already successful, they'll continue publishing until they're over and then they'll stop making those kind of books. And I think that's what this really signifies. I don't really think it has anything to do with the age rating because why don't you just put the fucking age rating on the, the Vertigo books?
1: yeah i i am of the belief first that and and this is probably cynically that as soon as these the 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 previous vertigo books that have i uh, haven't been canceled or haven't moved or you know um whatever once they're finished quote unquote they they'll be done and then DC will go back to just putting out DC books. I I don't believe they'll try the indie market again for a while.
0: You know, I think that you guys are right um that the cancellation of Vertigo doesn't have a lot to do with brand confusion. not not that not that it doesn't have anything to do with brand confusion, just that it doesn't. Uh, they're doing it because Vertigo's not hitting, and this was a neat a neat way to kind of wrap the cancellation of Vertigo into an announcement about streamlining their uh, their publishing line by getting rid of imprints that no one specifically cared about, like Zoom and Ink, aren't imprints that the name matters or the kind of like the kind of content that they're publishing can just as easily come out through DC kids.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is like, I feel like those, those titles are only just coming out. Right. So like, that's, yeah. The ink that, and zoom imprints have only, ju- they were only just announced what last year.
0: Well, so was vertigo
1: and that, yeah, the relaunch.
0: Yeah, you're right. That was something that I, I wanted to talk about is DC's seeming lack of focus because they've been on this kick of re like rebranding everything and sort of, you know, trying to expand and that was only last year and now it seems like they're retracting again. We so, would like
2: to bring greater greater clarity to the DC brand by changing it every 6 months so we just really confuse the shit out of you.
0: Right. And this was something that you know, this is something that Marvel gets criticized for with, uh, you know, new number ones and relaunches and things like that. And they get raked over the coals. DC, I feel like you can't even track what they're trying to do. You know, what is the goal? The goal is to make it so that we can all understand what's being published by DC. But who was confused? Yeah. Well, I, I...
2: I, I I don't think it's shareholders. I think it's the new market that they're trying to court, and I think that is a problem. But again, I don't think that – I don't think Vertigo has anything to do with that. I think Vertigo is being positioned as having something to do with like with it because it's a convenient way for them to give up without, like, losing face, you know? Because, like um – and I know, I know you're probably going to get into this tweet in a minute, but I want to read it just because it relates to my point. There's a Jim Lee tweet in the Polygon article that we'll link to down below where he says, Our decision to rebrand all content under the singular DC imprint is just that. Amazing books that comprise the Sandman universe uh, will continue. Um, and he says, like, et cetera. Um, big plans for year two. YA pop-ups and creator-owned comics will continue to be a big part of DC. No books are being canceled or going away. So I believe that that's true. But I think that, like, then, like, this give as a—I'm sorry, go ahead. Kelsey. Give it another three months. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think that there's some truth to that, right? Like, I don't think Brian Michael Bendis's books are going to go away from his imprint because apparently pop-ups are different than whatever—than Vertigo. And I don't, I don't get how that makes sense. I don't see how pop-ups are different than imprints. Like His are selling. That's the difference. Right. Exactly. I'll and, tell you the I... difference.
0: There, there is a difference. The difference is that those books include characters that exist in the DC universe. Don't, his, doesn't Bendis have his some Jinx original stuff? stories? Well, those... Well those can't go away because those are conditional upon his contract. Right. You can't you can't get rid of of Jinx World. That's but,
1: that's what I was referencing. Yeah, the the Wonder Comics stuff, I think. Yeah, that's obviously not going to.
0: Yeah, Wonder Comics well, th- and Wonder Comics and Young Animal and all that stuff. Those are all based around characters that exist in DC. Yeah. Yeah. And Vertigo's books aren't. And that's also the difference between Vertigo and Black Label. If Vertigo Comics included Batman, which, quite frankly, DC at this point should be called BC, Batman Comics. Fucking preach. Might uh, well,
1: they might as well call it Detective Comics again.
0: Yeah. Uh, if, if Vertigo books included Batman, Vertigo would be around.
2: Mm-hmm. And the thing is that, like, ultimately, nobody gives a shit. You know, like it doesn't really matter that the Vertigo name is going away. So the books that are successful will get rolled into the black label
0: line. And that'll be that. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. You see, Twitter is very angry that Vertigo is going away. Twitter feels like DC is doing comics a disservice by getting rid of Vertigo because people are very angry. That vertigo is not going to be a thing anymore. There is a mix of anger, and there is, and and then in, within that is also just nostalgic sorrow that that this thing is not going to be around anymore. The, I feel that way. Nostalgic sorrow is fine. The anger I don't get because who yeah, was buying either. these books, right? If they were well, selling, they'd be around. <laughs> and the thing is, if you were buying them,
2: they're not getting canceled. So like, well, whatever what's to cancel,
0: you know, like. Uh, Eric, Eric Esquivel's book got shuttered because he's a shit um, uh, safe sex never came out so they don't have to cancel that second coming never came out so they don't have to cancel that American Carnage is naturally ending or ended with number nine um, and that then goddess uh,
1: mode is the only other one I can
0: goddess mode and the uh, the witch one hex Hexwives oh, hex that got that I'm, I'm fairly sure that did get canceled uh, I think I feel like it ended, but you could be right maybe it naturally ended either way it's it's over yeah. so it's convenient that the books that were that were doing okay ended naturally, and then the ones that either you know had something weird happen with them or d c decided not to publish them, they're not happening so for d c to say that they're not canceling any books means nothing when you actually look at the line that they nothing left yeah, there's nothing left. It was a choice between continuing to publish more books and not. And by the way, the episode that we talked about them canceling Vertigo on was the one where it was just me and Marco. That's why you guys don't remember it. Oh, and okay. on that, <laughs> thank you. in the Bleeding Cool article, they said that DC was canceling contracts that they signed with creators to work on the next wave of Vertigo books. There you yep. go. <laughs> so, books we were reading maybe didn't get canceled, but books we never got the chance to, to to necessarily know about aren't happening under Vertigo. And they're not happening under Black Label. I don't believe that. I don't believe there will ever be a Black Label comic that does not include a Batman. superhero. B- b- yeah, yeah, well, then well. I mean...
2: Then, then that's yeah. Then I mean, like that's that comes back to the the prediction that Cal and I threw out there, where it's just like this is them quietly moving away from this, and they can say that oh, creator-owned comics are still a big part of our brand because they own Jinx World or whatever. But that means that the the initiative that they announced in 2018 about relaunching Vertigo and recommitting to like the Image style books is over. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and the people arguing that it was like meaning, like that it was meaningless or whatever. It's like, yeah, I mean, like it, it, I think it's just like the Vertigo name stood for that kind of book, you know, the kind of book that didn't fit in in, in the same way that that Marvel has uh, or had. I don't even know if they do anything anymore. What was it Icon or whatever? Yeah. No, I mean, the, in, you're
1: you're thinking of uh, Max right, well, Marvel Max was kind of no, their mature. Well,
2: well, that was the mature superhero stuff, though, wasn't it? Oh yeah yeah, Deadpool yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I'm, I'm talking yeah, about
2: Icon, yeah, which yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, which was what they published, like kick ass under
0: originally, and, um, and Jinx World stuff and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, I think even Powers, maybe it the, was. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: It was an imprint line. for their superstar creators to publish their indie books, not in an indie, not 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 yeah. with image to keep them to be more like, in one image. Yeah, or or if they were under
2: contract to keep them happy. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, Yeah. it's like, yeah, whatever. You can put out your weird detective book here and not go somewhere else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't see a problem with Vertigo going away because, and I said this on the episode with Marco, Vertigo changed comics in a way that made Vertigo obsolete. And that's a great point. Especially when you consider the fact that it would have to operate under DC, which is the same company that shied away from Batman's penis appearing in comics, right? So, Vertigo books, also, yeah, that when
2: controversy came up about second, what was it, second, second coming? coming yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: When that came up, they
0: backed down, yeah. right? DC yeah. Comics wants no part of any kind of controversy. So why would Vertigo work in that context when lots of other publishers would have been happy to publish Batman's dick, right? Because it would make them money. That Batman damned. (laughs) Images out here like, yo, we'll publish Batman's dick. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So for me, all that says, and this is something that I've had a problem. That's the problem that I have is that DC... Is, is is showing that they're not that company anymore. Yep. And they haven't been probably for a while, and I think they didn't realize what they were getting themselves into when they decided to publish these books. American Carnage, <laughs> does it, the subject matter of that book, is nothing that DC would ever publish in their mainstream books, ever. And I'm surprised that it ever came out, and I don't believe that they would ever publish that again.
1: I think American Carnage is is a a great case of of what that old flavor of Vertigo was. And I think I think you could make a case that like that was the book that was like, okay, fuck, yeah. This is it, man. And I think I think that's a, a really successful uh example but who, you know whatever whatever boardroom bullshit is going on they they don't they don't want that like you said that controversy
2: well i think kale bo- both of you guys have, have made salient points about this in the last two days that ha- are forming like this kind of i guess last point that i really want to make which is that kale you said that this reeks of the changing hands at the ship of dc that someone is grabbing power and making this change. Because to me, what's what's most disappointing is what, Sean, you just said before. They have shown, from what they're saying, that they're not the same company that made this decision, not just in 2018, uh, but the same company that would have published a Watchman or, you know, um, Alan Moore Swamp Thing or Take Your Pick, right? Why the Last Man, uh, any of those... those like, seminal Vertigo books. Um, they they are not that company anymore. And it's particularly sad when you think about the context of what was it, I guess, New York Comic Con 2017, I want to say, when they said that they were ready for this initiative because they wanted to encourage the next Watchmen. They wanted to publish DC's next Watchmen. And they don't want to do that anymore. And... That doesn't mean that the comics that they're making are bad, but I think that you're right, Sean, that, like, whether it's they didn't know what they were signing up for or the people that are in charge now disagree with that vision,
0: that's not their direction anymore. So, when they said that, they said it in reference to Black Label. And Black Label is not a proven commodity because... It really hasn't published much. You have Last Night on Earth, you have Batman Damned, and the incoming, uh, or did it just come out? Superman, Frank Miller yeah. Superman. Yeah, again? yeah, that came out like last week. Yeah, um, which I just haven't gotten around to yet. But um, everything. It remains. It, sorry. Sorry. Everything else they've done has been reprints. Right. It remains to be seen if they can produce the next Watchmen. But the reality is that I don't feel, and this is absolutely no disrespect, I don't feel like that's going to come from Frank Miller or Scott Snyder working on Batman more. You know, like... <laughs> it, 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 the, none, Nothing that they announced except... Uh, oh my God, who was the creator? It's a book about the history of DC through the eyes of marginalized people. I can't remember oh, the name yeah, of yeah, the creator. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was called, like, The History of DC of the DC Universe or something like that. Yeah, um, I think that's the title. I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up. But uh, I don't feel like... Yeah, John Ridley. John Ridley is the name of the guy.
1: Oh, yeah, he I, did 12 Years a Slave.
0: Yeah, The Other History of the DC Universe is what it's called. I don't feel... And by the way, where is that book? But yep. I don't feel like the next Watchmen is going to be produced by the same people who've been working within the machine of DC for all this time that only tell those kinds of stories. Yep.
1: I, yeah. <laughs> the, the next Watchmen is not going to come from the people who have milked Watchmen. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like I I like Doomsday Clock. I even like some of the before Watchmen, but like they ain't Watchmen,
2: right? And, and I I think I think ultimately then the quote unquote next Watchmen is 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 it's already come and it's an image book, you know, um or it's a it's a the next one the next next one is is probably you know like, shit like, a Black Mask or something. It's probably you know? Space
0: Riders. From Black Mask. <laughs> ah, check out our book club on that. Uh, oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> maybe it doesn't need to exist. You know, I feel like that that idea of the next Watchmen. You know, maybe we're past that. Yeah. If if they mean the next like transformative comic that kind of reshapes the way we think about about comic books, maybe that could happen. But it feels like. We've been so long into the comics game that there don't need to be a disruption of of comics in that way because we've been there, done that. We had Watchmen; you can't do it again. Um, and it's I, cert- think, I
2: think Watchmen is specifically a bad example because it's like a um what what's the word deconstruction. Um, de thank you, yeah, it's a deconstruction of the superhero genre, you know. So like you. you you can't. You definitely can't do that again as well as Watchmen did. You well, know, like
1: the, the movies do it better than Watchmen do at this point. Like,
0: yeah, like that's a weird thing to chase. And I, I remember yes. how we felt about it, and we liked the spirit of that of that phrase. But the problem is that I don't feel like creators who are already established megastars who have nothing to prove who are making hand over fist dollars, who aren't jaded, who are happy with their positions, are going to be the people in 2019 or 2029 who have something to say enough that they will transform the medium and the way we think about comics. I don't believe that. Brian Edward Hill? Yeah, he's the kind of guy who can do that. But his book, what he has to say, DC does not want to hear. They don't want it. That's why there's not going to be an American Carnage Part Two from DC. That's why they're not going to let him do his version of Batman that doesn't just that isn't just Batman fights the Joker, then he fights Two Face, then he fights Bane, then he passes the baton. That's why that's not going to happen because it's not going to come from DC or Marvel. They're not they're not those companies. Check out our interview with Brian Hill. He's a, he's a boss, you know. But it's like two hours. I but it's you know go ahead, Kale.
1: Well, I was I, to that effect. Like I, I you know I've been following Chris Sabella for a long, long time on Twitter. Uh, I I was following him on Twitter when he first came around with uh, uh, high crimes, um, and just to especially recently to watch just his gradual bitterness toward. Uh, superhero comics has just been I I mean it's been kind of disheartening to see someone a a creator that you like and uh, I don't want to be vulnerable here it's going to make me sick Uh, even look up to it's it, it sucks to see a person a person that you you know we've uh, you know i've emailed him a couple of times and you know he's been really uh, uh personable to me but like it sucks to see a person you know get so just bowled over by corporations
2: kale i gotta say man and I mean this with all the love in the world. I, I feel that way about you sometimes with superhero stuff because I feel like you're getting that way, where you're like getting like it's. I, oh my god! I fucking I'm um, again with this. I you know, and
1: especially especially this week, especially with the this uh, this Henry Abrams thing and all the hype surrounding it. I you know, no disrespect to the kid, maybe a little. I just I'm like like. I'm working hard, and like, like, yeah, they come a knocking. I'll give it a shot. I, I need the paycheck. I'm not, I'm not above that. But like, it's so frustrating that these they just wring the life out of out of these characters, and and for what? You know, like Batman's not fun anymore.
0: Like. Like I like Batman. Batman sucks. I um I definitely know what you mean. I'm not there with that. I really have a deep love for superhero comics and the genre and all that jazz. I think that what you just said though is why it's why when Gail Simone says I don't see the problem. Yeah. With Henry Abrams writing a book, it kind of rolled my eyes a little bit.
1: She can, she, cause she can fart out a Batgirl comic and whether it sells or not, she'll have a job.
0: She has the agency to say, I'm gonna do Batgirl, I'm gonna do uh, Domino, a character no one has written. It's like, who had a solo book for Domino before um, Gail Simone? And she can she can say whatever she feels like saying in the book. It could be it could be a, a positive, strong message, or it could be goofy stuff. It doesn't matter. She's Gail Simone. People will show up. But the next person who has the opportunity to grab the ball and run with it and say something will have a tough time doing it in an environment where these characters have to revert back to one. And in in an environment where you can't say something too huge because they'll just take it away from you, like what happened with Grant Morrison, uh, where they, rev- they 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 changed everything he did with new new uh, new X Men to where that that basically doesn't exist in continuity anymore. You know.
1: Well, and even even with character, like you said with Domino, but like Kate Leth did a, a really g- great run on uh, Patsy Walker or Hellcat. And she wanted, you know, Hellcat to have, you know, some form of LGBT inclination, whatever that was, and like for a character that is like, all due respect, for a character that is nothing, and and they wouldn't let her do it, and like, and that's it, and like her her her. Corporate superhero days are done because she was difficult to work with because she wanted to change something.
2: Well, and I think it's, I think it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, man, because I think when I look at Marvel and DC, they're, they're in a weird spot because I, I am always the one banging the drum that comics are a niche thing. You know, like, at their biggest, they're still pretty small. And I know for me, like, when I was young and not when I was a kid, when I was, like, a teenager and I was getting back into comics, part of the appeal to comics was that they were counterculture. You know, is that they were, like, kind of, like, like not a lot of people read them. And it was, like, this big, crazy, huge world with all this history that I felt, like, Cool for being in on and like knowing that it was like this weird little corner that me and some of my friends occupied, you know, and like Marvel and DC are not those companies anymore. You know, they are they are owned part and parcel by, you know, two of the biggest, you know, not just media companies, but mega corporations in this late capitalism world that we live in. So, like, yeah, like, I don't really feel like Marvel and DC, like, have the room to be edgy or groundbreaking or anything that they used to be because they're not anymore. They're, like, it's it's very much, like, it's an it's very analogous to, like, punk rock and then the commercialization of it, right? Like, Marvel used to be punk in ethos, and you could have cool, crazy, unexpected, off the wall, shocking things happen and that's not true anymore.
0: Yeah, but you know what, man, I have to I have to say this. And I'm not talking to you. I'm saying this in terms of the audience. The same people who are upset with the state of Marvel and DC with respect to what you just talked about? Yeah. Burned comic books when Captain America said Hail Hydra. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a joke that people talk about how bad Marvel comics are when they forced Marvel to pivot away from things that were that. But it's because oh, it wasn't what they wanted it to be. It was because yep. it it, it yep. didn't fit within the, the very small window at which you can be kind of controversial. That was that was the controversy. Well that hey, dude, was the I thing.
2: I'll say I'm I'm just as guilty of that, right? When it comes to like uh I mean, I reacted to that poorly, but also like superior Spider-Man where it's like that was trying something new and I didn't want any part of it. You know? Um so I recognize that too. And it it's a hard fucking dance to to deal with. Right? Cuz like how do you do both? How do you appease the old guard that are propping up your you know, struggling business model while also trying to do something new that speaks to them but also speaks to new readers. It's it's a complicated uh, issue.
1: I so I uh I've been working my way through uh the common writer volume of of uh uh properties or whatever and I just started uh um Common Writer Decade, which came out ten years ago, two thousand
2: nine. And that's uh, convenient.
1: Yeah, fair. Um, but so this, <laughs> I've only seen the first episode, but the beginning of it says that Common Rider Decade is the destroyer of worlds, and he will kill all the other Common Riders, and that's the that's the plot. <laughs> and, and Sean, you said that about Captain America, Hail Hydra, or whatever, and I went, "Oh, I get it."
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: All right. I got to read Secret Empire then. Fuck.
0: <laughs> yeah. We should really do a Secret Empire book club. I I would love to. I would love to. The next time I have a slot, uh, we might end up doing that. Let's but, do that. You know, I I don't know, man. Like I could talk about that all day. I have a. I'm more angry about that than I am about the state of DC and Marvel because I feel like the state of DC and Marvel is reactionary to the state of our culture and to the state of the very same people that they're trying to appease and it's a tap dance because you don't know from one day to the next what's going to offend somebody and if you can't take risks then you can't grow and the industry will never be able to grow until it's just as okay to have miss marvel be a muslim girl as it is to try to have Captain America become a Nazi, as it is for the newest Spider-Man to be a black Hispanic kid, for all those things have to be okay at the same time. Because for someone, all of those things are controversial. And in reality, all of those things are breaking ground. And we can't put a stopgap on these companies trying to evolve, because otherwise, that elusive fan base that everyone talks about is never going to get tapped into there's going to come a time where kale will stop reading superhero comics because he's tired of the same old thing
1: listen i i live in europe i've got a i've got a whole world of comics open to me that blow
2: american comics out of the water (laughs) so i mean that the whole thing is like i you know i constantly find myself in a state of flux between those two things You know, because like every once in a while, I'll read a superhero comic that's new and I'll enjoy it and I'll be like, there is still more here to offer. Um, But yeah, man, I mean, for years, like, like, I would say the, the point at which I was most actively reading comics, right, where I was buying the most books I've ever read on a regular basis, I was following one superhero book and it was Invincible, you know, um so i think i think there are a lot of people like me who have a real fondness and love for the characters but struggle to be interested in what's going on now and i think it is this weird dance of wanting it to be what you know and what you like while also being new and like that's uh how do you do that when there's already like 40 fucking 70 fucking 80 fucking years for some of these characters of stories like what you're talking about and if you want that maybe you should just go back and read that you know and like we need to let the new stuff be new so
1: so my wife is doing a um a PhD a wife. and my wife is doing a PhD <laughs> in the way that European comics um sort of resisted uh the American influence, so like there's some you know superhero comics over here, but it certainly doesn't dominate. the The thing is, Asterix, uh, which is a a a book, it's it's kind of a kid's book about um, uh, Vikings and his adventures. Every single one of those books, every single one, sells millions of copies, um, and they find a way to re-release the old ones in a new way. And they, and they do. They sell millions. Same with the Tintin books. The Tintin books have, they haven't been, nothing's been added in decades, but they still sell millions and millions of books. <clears throat> so it's not like it's impossible for for them to do it if they, if they really looked into it. But I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think it as a response to the American comics culture, I think, I think it's going to suck. It's going to, if that change were to come, it would be uh it would be a hard one.
0: And, and, you know, and Marvel and DC do republish their books in a variety of different ways. And, you know, they sell or they don't. People want what Pete said. They want something new, but they want what they they want what they knew. You know, they want something new, but they want what they knew. And uh, you know, you can't really have progress like that. So Yeah, dude, I I think I think the fucked up thing is that ultimately
2: what I want out of a Spider-Man book is to make me feel the way that reading the eighties and nineties stuff that I really dig for the first time or reading Ultimate Spider-Man for the first time made me feel, you know, that's what I'm chasing. And I don't think it's fair to say that a comic can't make me feel that again because like the Spider-Man PS4 game gave me that feeling and maybe not in exactly the same way, but it gave me that, right, this is why I love Spider-Man. This is the thing that I'm connecting with. You know, so it's, I don't think it's, like, that it's impossible, but I think it's that, like, for for someone like me, like, I don't know what the right combination is. You know, I don't know what the the way to get me, like, snapped back in it is. And, like, honestly, I'm interested to see if, I, w- I really want to read the, uh, the Chip Zdarsky book that's just wrapping up now. The uh, Spider-Man, like, Life, life I can't story. remember what it's called. Yeah, Life Story. Thank you. Um... But that I think seems like something that I'm very interested in, right? But it's like, but that's not something that's sustainable in like a mainstream comics kind of way. So it's like, I don't know, man. It, it, it is such a weird thing. Is that like maybe
0: I don't know, like, man. People people complain that Spider Man doesn't grow, so they let him they let him, you know, move out of Aunt May's house, get a job. You know, all that stuff. People complained about that. Okay, cool. So now he's sleeping on a couch again. People complain about that because it's backwards progress. It's it's rubber banding. You literally cannot win. For you to get what you want, you would need to live in the 80s or 90s. You would need to be reading exactly those books and just keep going back in time every time we get to like 2000. And that's the only way around it. it because you you you'll never get that. Because they can't take the character forward, but if they keep playing the hits, you're not gonna like that either. No.
2: Yeah. And it's it's uh it's a weird. It's like a it's a it's a it's a
0: tough problem. Yeah. Uh and we're not gonna solve it here, unfortunately. So we might as well wrap up. I had a blast having that conversation. Rest in peace to Vertigo. I wanna leave this chapter of our conversation on all of that with words from Karen Berger. And it's apropos because she's the one who started that whole deal, um, and we owe a lot to her as far as what mainstream comics are outside of the big two. She said the following, corporate thinking and creative risk-taking do not mix. DC nixing Vertigo was a long time coming, but hey, we changed the game and we had a blast doing it. Honored to have worked with so many incredibly talented creators and ediger- editors, and thanks to all our fab readers. Hashtag Viva Vertigo, hashtag Burger Books. Yo, Karen Burger's a, a straight-up G. Great time
2: to push Burger's books. <laughs> yeah, right, straight up.
0: <laughs> so, if you want to take part in this conversation and let us know where you stand, there are plenty of ways you can reach out to us. You can get us on social media at the comics pals you can write to us at the at gmail.com. we will absolutely read your mail on the air or you can just call my aunt and uh tell her <laughs> you want to get to me and uh she'll she'll let me know um i should start like a hotline or something for people to just i'll I'll give my number on the air we can just have you guys call in shit um, be,
1: maybe that should be a patreon level
0: oh Dude, uh, I
1: would
2: I would love to set that up, and we could just play the angry voicemails.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. So again, again, if you want to get into us, get to us about anything we talked about on this or any other episode of the show, feel free to do that. And while you're at it, make sure that you guys leave us. The likes and the comments and the shares and the reviews and all that kind of uh, good stuff that helps us out a lot more than it costs you to do. We've got some really cool books, book club stuff coming out. Tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, we will have the Web Spinners Tale, Tales of Spider-Man book club out. Um, that's about a, a story between Spider-Man and Mysterio. So you guys can check that out. Um, right, right on time for Spider-Man Far From Home. We've got the Dark Phoenix Book Club out. Oh, God. We've got so many book clubs. Just go check them out. They're there. Let's do some plugs. Pete.
2: Thank you guys so much for joining us on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to find me on the Internet, you can get me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about uh, about Spider-Man and feeling sad, I guess. I don't know. Um, and, And let's talk about Vertigo. What's your favorite Vertigo book? Um, because there are a lot of good ones, um, including one of my favorite books of all time, Why the Last Man, uh, which you should go check out if you haven't read. There's a plug. Um, and if you want to find some more work from me, I also uh, do some stuff over at looppots.com, including hosting their weekly podcast, The Potscast, uh, which is all about Nintendo. So if you want to listen to me talk about Nintendo, go do that.
0: Kale? Uh,
1: I think my favorite Vertigo book is uh, Flex mentala Grant Morrison and uh, Frank Whiteley's uh, Doom Patrol bonus writing I guess. Week. Um, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. You can find my work and my other podcast that I do with my wife called Gone Global at kaleward.com. That's C A L E W A R D.com.
0: Also, mywife.com. <laughs> oh my God. It's devolving. <laughs> uh, my favorite vertical book is American Carnage because it's the only vertical book I've read other than Hex And I liked American Carnage a lot more than I did that. You had you Watchmen. Can, um, oh, yeah. That's, right. <laughs> that's like the. I mean, listen,
1: American Carnage is better than Watchmen. I'll fucking say it. I'm not scared.
0: I forgot Shit. That, that's, that Watchmen was that. Oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, Watchmen. Fine. Uh, (laughs) coward (laughs) (laughs) you can get me on social media on twitter and instagram only at sean soapbox hit me up to talk about phoenix with that we're the Comic Spell signing off take care guys see you next week